Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Random Tale Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're running on basically zero sleep. It's the day after Comic-Con. We got back at what, like 11.30 last night? Something yeah, like that? Some late hour. Yeah, and it's basically been a full day of work and now here we are recording this. Um, but I guess that's just the fast and frenzied life you choose to live when you attend San Diego Comic-Con, which is what we did. So here we are, episode 181, which we're appropriately calling the Mighty Comic-Con. And we're ready to tell you all about the convention, plus discuss news from beyond the show floor, including Nintendo's inten- Nintendo Nintendo's intentions <laughs> of releasing upwards of 30 – like I said, no sleep. But their intentions of releasing upwards of 30 games on the eShop per week. We're going to analyze that crazy goal. Sounds we're, horrible. Right? Uh, we're going to discuss game announcements like Warframe and more. So there are timestamps over at RamTown.com as always. Or if you're listening to this on our YouTube channel at RamNintendo.com, you can just look below the video and click to the specific games you're curious about. But with all that said, um, hopefully my sentences are clearer than it was a second ago, even though I'm on no sleep, because of Comic-Con. So how was your Comic-Con? I mean, we were there together, but we were also not together because, you know, it's it's hard when you're at a convention to do the same stuff. You don't want to, really. <laughs> like, you want to do your own thing and find your own thing. So how's your Comic-Con? Um, I found the best way to describe it was I was never really wowed, but I was very satisfied. So... That's, That's good. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it was the best year we've ever had, but it was a solid one for sure. It's more laid back in a lot of ways. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was hoping for a laid back Comic Con. I didn't want there. I was as weird as it sounds. I was hoping there weren't a lot of things that I was excited for in the sense that things that would require me to get up at four or five in the morning to make line just to make sure I get this thing that if I knew I missed, I would hate myself. But <laughs> luckily, there was nothing like that. So and yet we still got so little sleep. At least I did. Um, I'm on like four hours a night for the past five, six days. I don't know. I feel like I was fine. Yeah, well. Even though we went to sleep sometimes like at two and woke up at seven. That's only five hours. Oh, no wonder. I went to sleep at three and woke up at 6.30. So there's the oh. difference. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the show, like it was, I mean, what, what were some, do you have any highlights among the laid back, nothing wowed you world that you live these past few days? Mm, I mean, nope. did Teen Titans Zero go? Highlights. Teen yeah. Titans go was cool. Zero highlights. Really, not even Teen Titans. Um, right. There yeah. was there was a drawing I commissioned by Long Vo. He's an artist for Capcom, and well, specifically Udon, but he does like pretty much Street Fighter art. He was in charge of the art for Street Fighter HD Remix and Tatsunoko versus Capcom, and we see him every year. Elvis and I always buy like a board from him, and Elvis gets like signatures. And I finally. They said, all right, I'm going to get a commissioned piece of art. And I asked them to draw Ryu doing the objection pose, wearing a Phoenix Wright suit. And he just took that and just drew an it's, amazing drawing. And it was really, really awesome. It was better than anything I could have expected. And It's pretty awesome. And, and, and that was yeah. really great. Also, just getting the um, the, nin- the exclusive Ninja Turtle object this year. It was just a giant... <laughs> I like you just call it an object. It's not even like... Not a collectible. It's just... A physical thing you have to buy. It was a giant object. It was a playset. It was like a street scene. There were some buildings there. There's a billboard. I don't know. It's like a cityscape. It's not a billboard. But no, you can put your action figures there. They go well with the the live action movie turtles that I also got along with that display set, which are, I guess, just seven-inch versions of the, oh man, I don't even know how tall they are, quarter scale. They're like two feet tall. Essentially... You could buy the two feet tall ones in store. NECA, the company that made them, isn't legally allowed to sell the smaller scale toys in store, so they have to sell them through Comic Con. And they all sold out within a day. So I was happy I was able to get that. 
I bought basically nothing. Actually, no, I take that back. You turned me on to a really awesome uh, thing in a, some random booth. I don't even know who makes it. It is the Dino, the Yoshi coin from Super Mario World that you, you, have, you find in each level. But it's a pin of it. And it's really cool and really shiny. It is really nice. That's cool. Especially, I, got, I bought a couple enamel pins this year, and that one's definitely the. It's the real. It looks one. straight out of the game. It is super cool. Mm-hmm. I'll probably by the time this is up or Twitter after I'll probably have it on my Twitter a picture of it for anyone that's curious. Actually, if they want to see your commissioned art, it's on your Twitter. So to those listening, is it on my Twitter? Yeah, you tweeted it. Oh. I saw it. It's uh, at w i r o underscore for those who want to see that. That it's worth having people check that. It looks awesome. Like it's no, for them they thought like because they thought I only put it on my Instagram. Oh, maybe. But well, that's the also, same name. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, but yeah, I think I think for me highlights generally speaking. Um, a lot of Conan stuff that I did because I've become a Brian nerd for those who don't know listening um, I got his autograph I sort of got to meet him very briefly I uh, went to a taping went to a comedy show and then got to do Hall H which is the big panel hall that um, a lot of people don't that don't go cock maybe you don't know but where when DC when Marvel when Star Wars when any of those things show up they take over the 6,000 seat hall and just bring out all the cast and everything and usually people camp out overnight for it this year to the point of it not being a wow year a little more low key like uh, me and a friend, we went and did Venom, Spider-Man into the Spider Verse, which looks super cool. Not just animation wise, but like they're keeping the meta humor that uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord do from like Twenty One Jump Street and Lego Movie and all that. But then kind of merging it with this awesome art style, so that's cool. And then also Bumblebee, the new Transformers spinoff, which looks kind of like um, it's like Herbie fully loaded, but with a robot, and it seems way better because it also has explosions. So that's that's that but no it, it was a fun year i think i think the one thing that probably was not on either of our highlight lists though unfortunately was nintendo like they this year they had a big focus on family friendly nintendo like the lounge that they do every year in the neighboring hotel they have a lounge called the nintendo gaming lounge they have all basically their e3 lineup plopped into this ballroom and this year they renamed it to the Nintendo Switch Family Lounge, which should have been a red flag, but wasn't. And we went and stood in line for, I don't know, what, hour and a half? Uh, hour? I feel like about an hour. Maybe an hour. And then we get there, and we walk up, and we're basically told, like, technically this is for kids, you guys. Which is weird, because, yeah, 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 Nintendo's kitty, yeah, 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 okay, that's an old thing. But for the last, what, four or five years that Nintendo's been at Comic-Con... It's been very just, here's our games, check them out. You want our swag, play our games, you'll get our swag. Everything's just, you know, like, whatever you are, whoever you are, you can partake in the Nintendo experience at the lounge. But this year, it was very much like, you only get to get swag if you're, like, you know, 10 years or younger, or you're with someone who's 10 years or younger. Otherwise, you can play the games, we'll give you these little pins for each game, which were okay. They're just, like, um, those square pins that they just print art onto. And then wrap the paper around like yeah, pretty low key. Not super exciting. Not super exciting. But then like well, they gave us a couple stamp sheets. Cause like, oh, you guys waited. Fine, you can have like two for the six of you, and you can sort it out. And she said kind of bitterly, which was weird. But then we go in and we play Mario Tennis, and and um, I think it was Elvis actually that gave her the stamp sheet. She's like, oh no, that's for kids. And it's kind of like, uh, like they they weren't even like super friendly about. It. Like some booth attendees were nice. I mean, she was nice when we were playing, but. Like, the Captain Toad, there's a photo op, and that guy was super friendly to all ages. But uh, the Pokemon Let's Go, they had the Pokeball on display, but not the game, just the Pokeball. That was weird. But that guy was super friendly. But, like, when it came to like, the swag stuff, it, it was weird. Like, how did you describe it really well when we were leaving? I forgot what you, you said. Know, just unwelcoming. Yeah, which is weird because, like, 
I mean, I, I get it on one level. Like this is, we talked last episode about how they're in like phase two of their marketing now where the core gamers were all like E3 and now for the rest of the summer they're focusing on families. That's why they have the Disney show, the Walmart tour, all that. But like two-thirds of Comic-Con is not kids, like the attendees. They're just cutting off that potential opportunity there. It feels weird. And, and to be fair, Nintendo, they did do a lot right with the booth. And even for the kid angle thing, like it really cool that they, they had like a, like a nice big labo area so kids can try out labo and build stuff that was kind of neat they uh you know they had a smash section within the booth which was a whole separate line and that was normal nintendo anyone's welcome anyone yeah to play. it's funny because that section was i guess separated with one of those um i guess line making ropes just a line mm-hmm. rope mm-hmm. and if you go in there like they they essentially expected all the older people to just be over there they're like all right let's just corral them over here let them yeah. play the smash brothers and be on their way but then it was kind of conflicting because then they had the big stage for the smash tournament which by the way was teens only okay they had a big stage for I mean, that they were clearly intimidated by the super long line for super smash brothers 4 when they had a tournament for that on 3ds oh yeah because that one was that was what 2013 14? that one was incredibly positively received but you know i guess they just wanted <laughs> just teens yeah yeah they clearly didn't want to have a line out the door and have it look like the hottest thing at the show clearly to be fair i would not have entered the tournament if they had one this year Um, well you want a medal at e3 why would you yeah exactly but no it was was weird because like they had the tournament stage in the kids section well that too yeah yeah. but they had it in the kids section so it was already kind of confusing but uh yeah and and like again to be fair nintendo we were in line and then the treehouse guys like it was uh jc the guy does the does the uh competitive nintendo stuff and um couple of the other trios guys whose names i'm unfortunately forgetting uh they came to the line and just gave us all donuts it's like they were welcome like they were like oh yeah nintendo fans great but then when you got to the front door it's like but not that type of nintendo fan sorry i mean you could come in but we don't really want you but whatever it, it was strange like it was just kind of strange i don't know i mean and it was actually really nicely set up this year it's probably the best lit it's been any i don't mean lit like the cool i mean like like actually like the lighting in the room was actually good for once like you could actually take photos in there it used to always be horrible i think my favorite setup though was one of these where it was dark and it was and they had a platform that you could climb up yes, there in just, the middle just so you can um use the 3ds's camera just so you could use the activate the qr codes so that you yeah they had the, them printed on the floor on the yeah, carpet so I you could see that. a giant kirby a giant link a giant whatever it was mario yeah that was that was super cool but but yeah this year um they brought in some of the props from e3 they had um they made like custom like big lit up signs for each game so like it, you know they did some they had the po- they had the Pokemon Let's Go photo ops from E three as well. So like there was stuff, but just I don't know. It's it's it was weird. Like it sounds like we're kind of nitpicking because we are, but it 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 was weird. Like they did a lot right, but it just had a weird vibe this year. I mean it was emptier as a result, which was nice, but it was a weird vibe. Um, and it's also surprising what kind of wasn't there. Like this is the first Comic Con in two years where they didn't announce a new classic system going in. You know, like two years ago they had the NES. Last year they had the SNES. This year N sixty four seemed like it'd be the go to, but well, nothing announced at all. They also which, didn't even reveal their plans until like the day before. Yeah, like we didn't know. It sucked for me because I, I, you know, I was trying to prep the pro- podcast before we went down there, banner and all, and I wanted to make the banner based on games we were going to end up playing down there. And then I'm like, oh, cool. I don't know what it is until twelve hours before I drive there. That's sweet. But I mean, that that's an us problem more than anything else. But they, I was surprised they didn't have an N sixty four classic at all. I mean. I guess I, should, I guess I'm not that surprised when I think about it because the NES is still in production and they've promised it's going to run through the end of the year now. 
they you know they brought it back like two weeks ago now it's till the end of the year and they still have the SNES in production to who knows when they haven't said they're gonna end it so like why throw in a third classic system if they can just ride out the hype of the current two and then once there's a lull in the hype like in a, in a year they can pump out an N64 and get more money then instead of risking losing the money now or not losing it but you know making less of it so yeah. I guess I kind of get why it's not there but the one that, that was perhaps a bigger weirder surprise to me was the lack of WarioWare Gold now I understand it's a 3DS game and we're talking about the Nintendo Switch Family Lounge but the game's out in two weeks and up until Nintendo of Europe put out a demo, I think a week before Comic-Con, and NOA just put out their version here in North America this past Thursday. Up until that, we have not heard a peep about the game except its reveal trailer. We knew nothing. Like, literally nothing. It's out by our next episode. That's so weird to me. And, like, WarioWare could have easily been tucked into a corner of the booth to generate some buzz or something. And, it, I don't know, it's kind of like a bummer because Nintendo... They're just not hyping the game very much, and there seems to be a, so much effort poured into the game that it deserves a little more attention. I mean, for one thing, it's kind of a weird thing to point out, but it's the first fully voice-acted WarioWare game. The dialogue, like, Charles Martinet is doing full sentences, which is odd to hear a full sentence of Wario talking for multiple sentences for a prolonged period of time. But, you know, it's kind of like they're actually going that being said, though, like, I mean, there are, like, very short sentences. It's almost like he's speaking in little bursts. But the cutscenes last a good couple. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. It is very, it is kind of stilted, but it's still weird to hear. And it's like they didn't have to do that. This was like a cheap, you know, just take all the old games and throw it in. And there are new micro games too. Someone already found a, a Fire Emblem one in the demo. But but beyond just that, like the game's doing weird, quirky, cool stuff that like I kind of hope people check it out just because it seems absurd. Like you can re-record any of the game dialogue in your voice, which just seems ripe for memes and stupidity. But like that's a weird thing. Or, or there's also, if you scan any of your amiibo into the game, it goes to a mode where Wario draws a very weird, bad picture of that character. And you can kind of, like, collect the whole, like, gallery of them. Huh. Which is, again, no reason for this to exist. It doesn't need to be in the game, but Nintendo's like, now nah, we're going to go the extra mile and put it in. And then they don't bother telling anyone this game exists. Well, I mean, that, that's very WarioWare. I mean, there was, there, there was a mode in Game and Wario where you just write whatever you want or draw whatever you want on the gamepad. Yeah, it was called the gamepad. Yeah, the gamepad. Yeah, on the gamepad, and then whatever you wrote just appears on a billboard, like on the screen. Yeah, like, yeah. Like there's just like a a picture of like a cityscape, and there's just a billboard there with whatever you drew. Well, yeah, it's kind of like how you used it. to be able to collect random yeah. objects in the other ones, but but this one I just find kind of like we when WarioWare Gold was announced, I think you and I were both, if I remember correctly, on the podcast being like, oh, it's like Mario Party Top 100, just taking old micro games, shoving them in a new box and calling it a day. But they're actually going beyond that, and yet they're marketing it like they're taking old games, just shoving it in the box and calling it a day. But, um, I don't know, like, it just would have been cool at Comic-Con. Like, imagine the swag. They could have had, like, WarioWare character business cards that they gave out, or, like, little squishy onions, or, like, Wario mustaches like they did for Mario Luigi a few years ago. There's so much potential with this, and they just squandered all of it. It's it's mm. weird, but whatever. What we I guess we should discuss what we did get to play at, at Con Con because there's some. I mean, both of us went back and played Smash some more, Smash Ultimate. Yeah, I did go back and play Smash Four. You got to do Smash Four. You did both. Yeah, we'll get to that in a sec, actually. But we probably uh, unless you want to talk about it now. Do you want to talk about the tournament? If you want, do I want to? Do you want to? Um, sure. It will be quick. Um, so every year I go and enter a Smash Four tournament at Comic Con. This one they've. I've already said that it will be the last one because next year will be Smash Ultimate. Mm -hmm. And the last two years, I managed to win it. And this year, 
I also managed to win it, so now I'm on a three-year streak. <laughs> the way you said that, like it was going to be a different result. Oh, it was, it was interesting because typically I do the tournament on Friday or Saturday, so I went yeah. on Thursday to ask, well, if they were doing it at all again this year. And I said they were, but they already had started one that day when I went to go ask, and it was already an hour in. And obviously yeah. I thought it was too late to join, but when just by coincidence when I got there, they were calling out some guy, Kyle, to go to their spot but they didn't show up so they were going to give him a they were just going to disqualify him so I just asked if I could take Kyle's spot and they're like oh but he's in the loser's bracket because it's double elimination you lose twice you're out he had already lost once so so you would have to really recover to get back yeah, in the so, main bracket and go so what back. I'm guessing is he lost the first one and just said and, and rage quit yeah screw it like, and he just left so I just took a spot and I managed to make my way all the way to grand finals and then I had to beat the last person twice like one to knock him out once and then to give him that double elimination. And then I managed to win. I won an Xbox One cap. Because that makes sense. And a Pacific Rim Uprising t-shirt. Because that makes sense. The, the the Pacific Rim is like, okay, fine, Comic-Con. But the Xbox cap, I know Microsoft is the, guy, the guys that foot the bill of the Comic-Con tournaments. But, like, that's almost weirder to get an Xbox game for winning a Smash tournament like you did. Well, years, I mean, but... yeah, Microsoft sponsors these tournaments. So yeah, yeah. They're all going to be Microsoft themed for the most part. And... I mean, it's even surprising that Nintendo... Well, that they put Smash Bros. there at all. I mean, it's the only... That's the only other game that isn't on an Xbox. They have Call of Duty. They have Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, Street Fighter. All being run on Xbox Ones. And then you just have Smash Bros. there. Well, now now it's not so weird because they're all buddy-buddy. A year ago, it was oh, weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it was weird the last two years. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also like, well, it's one of the most popular tournament games out there. So if they really want to draw yeah. people, of course, they're going to have it. And for Xbox, it yeah, it builds the Xbox brand a bit because you have an Xbox hat now. You're talking about Xbox for the last couple of minutes. So there you go. But um, what was I going to say? Yeah, it – it uh, so next year you're doing Ultimate, they've confirmed? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm actually curious, speaking of all that and tournaments and Ultimate, Sakurai's been saying things lately. Have you been following what Sakurai's been saying lately? I want to say I have, but so, I could have missed anything that he said while we were at Comic-Con. Yeah, so I'm just curious about your thoughts on this. So to fill, I guess, you in fully and those listening, uh, Masahiro Sakurai, the head of Super Smash Bros., he did an interview with the Washington Post, yes, the Washington Post, and uh, he kind of dismisses the idea of focusing on technicality of games. It, it's weird. Like he, So he starts by saying that people playing for money don't line up with what he believes is Nintendo's philosophy for games. Like I'm just going to read the quote. He says... I feel like a game, at the end of the day, is about playing the game. But if we focus too much on the top-level players, or the audience, then the game skews a little bit too much on the technical side. It comes to a point where they're playing the game for the money, and I feel that kind of distraction doesn't coincide with Nintendo's view of what games should be. He then elaborates, specifically about complex inputs and the technicality that comes uh, with it actually hurting games, saying, again, I'm just going to read the quote, I think a lot of pl- Melee players love Melee, but at the same time, I think a lot of players, on the other hand, gave up on Melee because it's too technical, because they can't keep up with it, and I know that there are players who get tendonitis from playing and messing with the controller so much. That really is hard on the player, and I feel like a game should really focus on what the target audience is. Is it, to me, a little odd? Is he generalizing a bit much here? Like, it's a little weird to hear the head of Smash Bros. kind of dismissing, like, a chunk of the audience of Smash Bros, isn't it? Or am I t- thinking too much into the reading too much into this? Maybe because, like, know. like on one level, I get it. I mean, it sounds like he just overall thinks that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, on one level, he's basically saying don't get too competitive. I, I don't really know. Like, so I think what he's 
the way I interpret it is on like some level he's saying a small subset of people who play Smash shouldn't necessarily determine how Smash games are made. That's like what the first quote's kind of about. Like I get that because he's like we need to focus on the broader audience, sure. But it just seems odd that he like has this either or mentality when he's like, well, it's either a technical game or it's not. Like that's what makes it fun. It's either it's this or it's that. Like I don't play competitive, right? I play probably how Sakurai envisioned me playing Smash Brothers with friends for fun, maybe kind of casually as a party game. But to say that people who play for money aren't enjoying themselves while doing it, that's weird. That's like saying no pro athlete enjoys playing their game well, yeah, while I mean, making money while playing their I mean, it's the reason they do that, and it's also the reason a lot of people... I mean... It's just a weird comment. Part of it, I mean, part of it is... I don't know, it's weird. I mean, like, um, the best player in the world that I retired already zero um he's been quoted as saying things like after his retirement he said that he probably won't play smash brothers this new one competitively unless he can get paid unless he can make a living out of it right so i mean that's kind of true yeah that kind of goes with what he said and i'm sure that's the same case with a lot of those professional esports people but that's only because they love the game so much that they want to make yeah, a living you out of it. like it to turn it's it It's not like something. they're playing it because it's easy money. It's definitely not. Like, but that's the, sort of what Sakurai is alluding. It, it, it's almost like Sakurai is missing the part where, like, in order to make good money out of this, you have to play it a whole ton, which means you really have to love this game. Yeah. So, if anything, the people that are playing it just for the money are probably the people that love the game the most and probably who should get probably the most attention that's what i find so bizarre like i like like i say i play so, it how he thinks people should play it but i'm not going and playing it 400 hours a month i'm playing it you know an hour or two here or there with friends here at your place yeah, or at comic-con where i killed it as inkling by the way but like you know because I mean? something like, that i'm sure he also like just doesn't realize is that the average person doesn't care how technical it is like People, when Melee came out, sure, it was technical. I don't personally like Melee. I don't like to... I don't enjoy playing Melee anymore. But when it was the newest Smash Brothers, I enjoyed, like, the hell out of it. And a lot of people did. Even people that I know don't play competitively, they just enjoyed playing it. They could care less that they couldn't... That they didn't know how to wave dash or do a bunch of other, like, advanced stuff. Like, Samus dash with the morph bar or whatever. But that's the thing. Casual players, like really don't care like what the game can do they just want to play as those characters but the pro players do so if you cater the game towards the pro players the casual players won't even know the difference they'll just be happy that the smash Bros. exactly and like to to, so you should cater it to those and to that point just yesterday two days ago evo put out the numbers for how many people registered for each game to compete in at evo this year right and Melee and Wii U, one game that has all these technical things that are intentional and players are latching onto. One game where Sakurai is aware of that, but it makes a game he wants to make. Same number of competitors, interestingly. There's one person different. Melee has a total of 1,302 people entered to compete. Wii U has 1,303 people entered to compete. For for comparison, um, there's 2,500 people competing in Dragon Ball Fire Z, and there's 2,400 people in Street Fighter Five. So like they're not the top of the tier. But my point is, if there was only one game, they would have been the top. Yeah, that's what I say. My point is, yeah. if you're saying no, the melee players are too technical. I want the Wii U players. You just split your audience. But if you say I'll make it okay with the Wii U, or the melee players, but then all the others will follow along because they just don't have to play as technical. You got the number one game. 
Like, the, he's literally forking the audience. Now, they claim Ultimate is supposed to be fixing this, right? Like, that's why it's the everyone is here. That's why they had both types of players at the Smash Invitational at E3. That's why, like, all of it is very clearly Nintendo trying to merge these audiences so they can be the fighting game. But if Sakurai is going out there and saying, I don't want technical, I don't like technical, that just seems really kind of undercuts it a bit. I don't know. So yeah. since you were talking about the tournament, I just thought it'd be interesting to bring this up now. But well, it's it's weird, right? Because, I mean, like, even if you play Smash Ultimate, like, we both went back and played Smash Ultimate at Comic-Con, right? And who'd you play as? Who'd you get a try this time around? Or did you play the same people? Oh, I mean, I, I pretty much got to play as everybody during E3, so... When I played again, I just used Bowser and Ridley. And I mean, they're and did you fun. start figuring out little nuances like Ridley and stuff? No, not really. Oh, <laughs> I mean, okay. Because like, I started figuring out stuff for. I mean, like, I mean, I feel like I, I got what I needed the first time around. Like, right. there wasn't really anything new to discover as Bowser, unless I had like thirty or more just minutes with the game without items on. Right, right. Like, it's it's at that point already. Like Bowser, if anything, just felt. If I felt more comfortable using them since I already got to use them before. Well, you're kind of, you're kind of proving my point because you're saying like, oh, right. all these technicalities I'm going to learn as I turn off items and start playing this way. And Sakurai's back here going, that's not how I built the game. You're doing it wrong. It's just weird. I don't know. Like, yeah. I love Sakurai. Like, he, he – I think it's safe to say he's a genius. Like, every, he has – he's eccentric at times. His menu systems are crazy but like in his games. But he – he makes really high quality stuff and he always makes it really interesting really fun it's just he has a weird worldview when he goes about doing it that seems to clash with what he actually produces well it's cause which is strange I mean it was an accident <laughs> yeah well well, yes and no it it was an accident that was that technical it wasn't an accident that they wanted it to be competitive Bill Tran actually had a whole spiel about this in an interview with I think it was IGN during maybe it was during no it was either during E3 or during Con. I don't remember basically he's like no 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 everyone says like Oh yeah, Smash Bros. is supposed to be just like Mario Party or Mario Kart, but then somehow it was like more competitive. It's like there's some level in any fighting game of, com- of competitiveness. Just it was designed in such a way that it lended itself to be even more competitive. They just didn't seem to realize it was designed quite like that. I don't know, but yeah, like I uh, I did start to notice some stuff with Inkling. That that's kind of nice that I was using to my advantage to win my matches Inkling yet again, but. I do wish it was a different build than E3. Obviously, it's not going to be a different build than E3. Same exact demo. But, like, they're announcing stuff during Comic-Con that's like, ah, oh, like, oh, Beware can come out of the Pokemon. I want to see Beware, like the Pokemon. Where, where I want him in my demo, but he wasn't there. He's the most – he's up there with Bidoof. You didn't me. get him? No. Was oh. he in the demo? Yeah. I haven't seen him in the E3 demo. Well, I haven't seen him at E3. I haven't seen him at Comic-Con. He's in the demo? Yeah. Oh. Everything's shown off. In the demo, I mean, everything shown off from trailers for the most part, at least all the Pokemon are in the demo. Did you see him in the demo? Yeah, multiple times. What? I feel shortchanged. I want my Beware. Beware is like second behind Bidoof, is like doofusy funny Pokemon to me. Bidoof's the king. He's my favorite. But Yeah, some at E3 and some at Comic Con. What? Okay, well, I guess I. But I mean, it's a Pokeball, so you have to hope that a Pokeball comes out, and then you have to hope it's that Pokemon. So. Right, yeah, no, I was getting other ones. I got um, Alone Vulpix, but that's not Beware. Like, literally, by definition, it's not. But you did mention Pokeballs, which is a nice little segue into something else I got to do. Um, that I don't think you did either, right? The Pokemon Let's Go no. experience, shall we call it? So As soon as they told us um, it's for kids... You okay. bolted out of there. Somewhat. Well, I did went to the Smash Bros. area. And, yeah. yeah. No, the, the Pokemon thing was weird because, I mean, anyone that's listened to the show knows a couple of weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Pokemon Let's Go, the game, because it was playable at E3. But at uh, Comic-Con... It was not 
All that was there was the Pokeball Plus. And all you could do was feel it shake in your hand. It was like a guy talking you through how it works. It was very strange because, never mind the fact that you didn't have a game attached to it, but the semi-demo, whatever you want to call it, didn't even do very much. It didn't even highlight the best features of the Pokeball. It just vibrated in your hand. Like, one of the coolest things from E3 was when you catch Pokemon, you feel the weight sort of shift around. Like, the, the thing has... It's basically like uh, HD Rumble, but even more impressive. And you couldn't feel that in the in the show at a Comic Con. All you felt was a normal like Rumble, which feels like a wasted opportunity. So all you got was a ball that flashed its light at you, made a Pokemon trip, and just went zzz, zzz, and that was it. Which does not seem like the best way to sell this thing because it's a fifty dollar controller. Yeah, you know what's funny? It's like you could probably get away with that at E three because you could just tell them like, oh yeah, this will have a much better. It'll be like the HD Rumble, and people will be like, "All right, cool, I can't wait to expect that." But over yeah. here at Comic Con, where you it's just have, public. yeah, with the general public, like literally, like you don't need a, a Comic Con bash to go to the booth. If you have like a kid and his, and their parents go and try it out, even if you tell them HD Rumble, they're gonna be like, oh, "Okay, it's probably just a more aggressive Rumble." Yeah, like the kid, and, and the kid it. doesn't understand it's an unfinished thing. Like you tell a kid, "Oh, well, we're still working out the kinks," but I promise they'll Rumble better. The kid will be like, "Well, we be Rumble better." Like. What's that? What's that translate to? I don't get it. So, and I mean, the the nice thing is you got that squishy Pokeball swag um, if you did it, and you got a pin for Pokemon Let's Go. You got that with zero weight at E three. Took me three and a half hours to get my little squishy Pokeball. Granted, I also played seven minutes of the game, but this is that. That is kind of funny thing about Kong is all the swag was the same as, uh, as uh, E three. So everything that we took forever to get, everything that we're like, oh cool, the po- the Smash Bros. lanyard exclusive. Nope, it was all at Comic Con. Which I don't blame them. The town goes like seven events a year, so it makes sense. But I, I do think the lack of a game, something like must be up with Let's Go's development. Like Pokemon Company must really be having some issues with the unfinished hardware or maybe how it works with the game or maybe in the game itself. Because back at E3, I think I mentioned on the show, but I was told they limited the number of demos because it was crashing a lot. And it needed as little wireless interference as possible. And they were told by Pokemon Company you can only have 10 Pokeballs. And now at Comic-Con, not even having your kid-friendly game there for the kids in the kitty lounge, that is definitely a missed opportunity, like you were saying, Angel. So I, I, I wonder, like, what happened, especially because everything else that Pokemon uh, Company is doing for Pokemon Let's Go, like, marketing's full speed ahead already. It's three, four months out, and they're already doing, like, the Pokemon Go Cup in uh, Ultra Sun and Moon, where basically, I think, it's, I think it's two weekends from now, first weekend of August, you... Um, can compete if you have Pokemon Ultra Sun or Moon. You could play online for prizes or glory or something in an actual tournament, but only using Pikachu and Eevee because let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee. So even like three months out, they're already doing custom tournaments for this game, and yet they can't put the game on a display in the perfect place to show it off. It's Something's up. I don't know what. It's weird. On the other hand, they do have Captain Toad. I gotta play Captain Toad, which uh, obviously we have it on Wii U already, and it's actually out on Switch already. But I have not picked it up yet, and I was curious to see just how different it felt than the uh, Wii U version. And I'm happy to report that uh, it works pretty well on Switch. Like, I was a little concerned that the pointer controls in lieu of touch to move platforms and stuff would feel a little, I don't know, less good. I don't know why I had that concern, but it feels basically the same. It's fine. But the the cool thing is um, Captain Toad on Switch has two-player co-op, which is brand new. It's actually a lot of fun because there's almost like a whole sub game. So I was playing with a friend of ours, and half the time he decided to troll me, and half the time he decided to actually help. So when they're trolling you, they they control the camera. You control Toad, they control the camera. So they can basically 
make obstacles appear by just spinning things around. They can go make it go top down. They can go bottoms up. They can really mess with you. Like as you're walking, they can spin it right. And enemies kind of you have to quickly move around them, and it it becomes like a much more intense experience than Captain Toad usually is, which is very you know kind of peaceful and laid back. So that that was kind of funny. It's a whole like little sub game in there. But even just like playing it the proper way when you're actually doing co-op, that was actually really fun. Like it, it feels like a different experience than normal Captain Toad because you really have to communicate and be like, okay, I'm going to move. I need you to turn the camera to the right as I walk across. Or okay, we're doing you know whatever. Block. Yeah, it's the same basic idea, just worded a different way. But yeah, it's it, it was a really um, like it made it feel like a fresh experience, which is kind of nice. I didn't think it would feel that different just having another guy controlling the camera, but it actually, it actually does make a difference. So, do you happen to know if, for whatever reason, if you're playing in handheld mode, if you can just touch things, or does the touch screen just not respond at all? To be honest, I'm not sure. Um, they only had docked. Oh. Uh, anyone that has bought the game, if, which has been out for like a week now, if you guys want to leave a comment on the blog post and tell us, that'd be great. But yeah, I, my guess would be yes but i feel like nintendo half the time forgets they have a touchscreen on their own system like think of all the games where they have menus that like have big buttons that are perfect for touch but they still make you pick them with an analog stick yeah it's like it works sometimes yeah it's like it's not consistent which is weird like the touchscreen was most definitely an afterthought on the switch i feel like Mm -hmm. but um but no yeah i have no idea if it does but the pointers work fine i i imagine it must actually because how you use a pointer when you are in handheld mode there is no pointer you need both joy cons stuck in there I don't know. Maybe just moving the the whole switch around. It's like the ex- oh, maybe, I mean, maybe that's the only thing I could guess. Yeah, but but no, I I was more like the pointer touch thing was like that's whatever. I was all about the call. Like that really, I know I sort of was starting to say, but that really made it feel like a very different experience, which is cool. So I I'm not gonna double dip just yet because there's not enough new content in there. Like literally, the only new levels the are Mario World. I mean Mario Odyssey. Those are gone. No, they just replaced them with button presses or something, but. Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. So, you know, if you... You know what's weird, though? The 3DS version of Captain Toad, I don't know if you saw it when they put out the demo. You know they show the same thing on both screens? I don't know why. But you have two identical screens as you're playing. Oh, that's weird. It's super weird. Like, it, Captain Toad is being retrofitted in some weird ways. But yeah, so that was kind of cool. And then the only actual new thing that I think I played, we played at Comic-Con was Mega Man 11. Which you you got the pen, but the same thing on the on the Wii U. I think it just mirrored what was on the screen. It did, but the 3DS doesn't have the ability to turn off one of the screens. I know, but <laughs> that's what's so it's doing weird. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know why they didn't just like. I guess they can't put a map. What else would they put on the lower screen? They could just put Toad's face, and then you press it, and he goes like, "Hi!" And or, oh, that's bad. My voice is shot, so that's a horrible Toad. I've done better. I've done better, but uh, yeah, I don't know what the point of that is. But yeah, the only new game, like new new game, um, was Mega Man 11, which, as I started to ask, I, did you actually play it or did you just take a pin and run? Neither. You have a pin. I uh-huh. saw it on your trip. Was it Elvis's pin? No. Where'd you get the pin? Oh, you didn't run. You just... Elvis gave it to me. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So he played it. No, he didn't. So so you guys scammed Capcom, but meanwhile, I was the good Samaritan and actually played the game they wanted no, me to play. No, <laughs> you just asked for the pin and they just happened to give it to you. That's nice. I guess. But, uh, yeah, the, the game itself, um, this, so, like, Mega Man 11, to me, at least, feels like what my number nine should have been. Like, right down to its concept of just redeifying like, the art style of old Mega Man. I mean, it's, it's, what I mean by that is it's, like, they're modernizing a classic, but they're still letting it feel like a classic. Like, sure, some purists of Mega Man may say the physics are a little too floaty or a little off, 
but it felt good enough for me. I was happy with it, and the animations were pretty on point. Like his jump poses there, of course, and all that, and the general movement felt good enough. Like it's not. I wasn't expecting a pixel perfect, but in 3D Mega Man, I was expecting Mega Man to be brought into a more modern context. That's kind of what my nine, number nine always promised. It just didn't deliver it. So I was happy with that. And the with Mega Man 11. And the big new hook is this gear system where it, you can either slow down time around you, you can uh, charge up your blaster to a higher level, or if you're critical health, you get to do both at once. And these gears you can turn on or off whenever you want, basically using the shoulder buttons, uh, minus the health one, which only at critical health. But you can, you can only use one at a time normally, and they can be overused. It'll cause Mega Man to overheat, and you have to kind of wait to be able to use them again. But it doesn't actually like outright incapacitate him. You don't have to worry. I was worried that they might do some dumb thing where if you accidentally use the slow down time thing too much, oh Mega Man's blaster doesn't work. Oh, and then it like screws up normal Mega Man. It does not. It doesn't hinder you in any direct way. So it's just like a layer on top of normal Mega Man. It's not actually changing normal Mega Man. It's just an extra little piece to it. Which, for the most part, like you can actually go through and play it just as a normal Mega Man like you're used to, which was kind of nice. Like, I mean, some of the bosses, they're definitely easier if you choose to apply the new gears to them. Like, uh, there was a mid-level boss I did where um, his whole routine is he'd split up into these pieces and then drop down at you from above at a fast rate. And you could use the speed gear to slow him down, and then Mega Man can move at his normal speed and get out of the way. And they can use the power gear to blast, um, to you know, up your blaster strength and shoot him. Or you can just dodge him normally and shoot him normally, and that works too. I mean, both approaches work for me. I tried a little of each. Uh, the dodging's obviously harder if you're not using the gear system. And I imagine on a hard difficulty saying, and later in the game, you will need to use the gears probably. But the the meat of it is still classic Mega Man. This is all just little bonus stuff on top, I guess is the best way to put it, which which is nice. Like it it makes it feel like a real Mega Man game and not some sort of like we slap Mega Man on some new system or something. And uh it, but even then, like it does feel like kind of a natural extension of Mega Man. Like it's not some crazy idea. It's just two the shoulder buttons do something. Oh, that's good to hear. So yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's um sounds it doesn't like, feel tacked on. Sounds like Mega Ham uh, sounds like this game Mega is, Ham. Sounds like it's <laughs> promising and I don't know maybe it was sprout a few sequels maybe. yeah I mean Mega Man 9 led to 10 so Mega Man 11 mm-hmm. could lead to 12 I'm just doing simple counting at this point I just realized but yeah so the it, trick uh, was to get rid of Inufune I get well no because he was he was in control when Mega Man 9 and 10 did their thing wasn't he Magna, well Mega Man 9 and 10 were true flashbacks this was and then he well he was doing Battle Network 3 he wasn't even doing Mega Man 11 or the equivalent but yeah I guess the trick was some fresh blood probably well, I mean, he did Mighty Number no. Nine. I know, and then, well, and then he he's obviously not at Capcom anymore, so he couldn't have done anything with Mega Man Eleven. So no, he couldn't have. But unless, yeah, but it, it like it was nice. It's just it was it was good. I was happy with it. I mean, granted, not to undercut my own impressions, I was also pretty happy when I tried the Mighty Number no. Nine demo years ago. But I was happy under the guise of this is an unfinished product. I'm sure it will get better. It did not. This one, however, feels finished so out of curiosity what did you demo it on a ps4 so they had you know what's weird i've never seen this before they had all i'm getting multiple choice question i'm getting it they had this whole ah but i want to say it no i was gonna say i've never seen this happen at a booth they had one of every system oh okay yeah is that weird so they had a ps4 with a hoary like classic controller looking thing then they had a ps4 with a normal controller then they had a switch and then they had an xbox one 
I did on the PS4 with the Hori looking thing. You don't get to choose your system. It's whatever's available. I would have liked to try it on Switch, but I did the Hori thing. It's weird. It Remember the Wii Classic Controller? Like that kind of like, it's just like an oval that you held. So not the Classic Controller Pro. No, the Classic Controller. Just the yes, yeah, exactly. Wow. That was that was this, but for PS4. And it was shaped more blob-like. Like it, it was kind of like the old Android emojis where it's like a half circle-y thing. But yeah, it was it was not the best controller. But it was not the worst controller. It was suitable. <laughs> but yeah, beyond beyond just like the um the games that we played though, the games themselves, I feel like I don't know, I feel one thing I noticed is this and this is probably true of multiple pop culture conventions in general, but it seems like gaming is having a bigger and bigger role in these multimedia events like Comic Con that it used to. Which is nice. Like Gaming's always been there, obviously. We had the gaming lounge for years from Nintendo. That's been a staple. Like, Comic-Con's been name-dropping it and all their stuff year after year. And, you know, there's, of course, a ton of merchandise on the floor. Um, there's some neat Mario Hot Wheels. I don't know if you saw those. Mm-hmm. There was also the mega construct of a life-size Squirtle, War Turtle, and Blastoise against one side of a booth, which was pretty cool. And, you know, that's not even including the fan-made stuff we saw, like that Yoshi coin I mentioned earlier. But, but like, and actually, even outside the show, the stuff was getting announced, weird collaboration, like Moleskin. The guys that make those journals and notebooks, the really classy ones, mm-hmm. they're doing an, a Mario collaboration. They have these super fancy, classy, retro-themed backpacks and books. And they look really nice. Like the Mario World one, like I don't ever need a notebook. I don't write physical things down on physical paper. But like the Mario one's really nice, and I kind of want to buy it. Oh, I should have. The Mario World one, I mean. I still can. It's online. It's not. It wasn't at Con-Con. This just reminded me of it. Oh. But, but no, what I meant was more broadly in the role, uh, like well, in Comic-Con. I guess I could, yeah. Maybe I will. But anyway, more. What I was trying to say is more broadly, like in the the role of games themselves at Comic Con seems to be evolving. Like it, it, we're moving forward. It seems like this was the first year, I think, ever that um, one of the massive banner apps they put on one of the buildings in downtown San Diego was for a video game. It wasn't for a movie. It wasn't for TV. It was for Tomb Raider and Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, that, like that's the Tomb Raider. Yeah. yeah, and they had an they had an offsite uh, event you could go to, like an offsite activation, brand activation, as the marketing guys say, where you could actually go and play the new Tomb Raider. They took over a bar, made it all jungly, and you could then eat exotic bugs, because why not? And you know, then separately, like Rocket League, they had a big third anniversary party this year and tournament too. And then Adult Swim, they had a uh, they used their state park, which is an outdoor thing they built behind the convention center. They did a late night pool panic launch party there on a Thursday night. And like it's just there's a lot more gamey stuff going on. I mean, Adult Swim that that seemed like a big deal to me because Adult Swim traditionally has one of the better zanier Comic Con things every year. Like the one year they brought them, they always do this big thing in the green. Yeah, it was kind of zany. I mean, I mean the idea was yeah, but the yeah like one year they brought. But I guess the uh, it was also the most grounded looking one because it was just a camp. Yeah, so basically this year... The camp was a twist. It was just a straight up... Yeah, so this year what they did is they built... They called it the Adult Swim State Park, and the premise was um, we're bringing you the nature you're trying to avoid by going to Comic-Con. So they literally set up like they had mini golf, they had archery, they had bracelet making, they had um, canoes, except the canoes were little go-karts you drove in a circle around the entire booth. They had like stage shows, but in past years they've done weird stuff. Like they they called it on the green, and they had like a giant what they called the Meatwad Dome. It was Meatwad from Aqua Team uh, Hunger Force, <laughs> except you could go inside him and watch. Like you lay down inside it, and the whole ceiling, this three hundred sixty screen, is just Aqua Team. And it wasn't just like like the show. It was like 
some sort of crazy trippy visualizer of the show. So like they always do interesting stuff and they do like night they do like yearly improv Rick and Morty shows and they always they always have stuff going on. So to have them dedicate some of their crazy to a game and an indie game at that, like that shows you how big gaming is getting at something like Comic Con, which is cool. And this is also one of the very uh, rare years that video games headlined Hall H. The biggest panel hall, as I was talking about before, is Hall H. That's where WB, Marvel, all of them debut new trailers. And a video game was in there. I mean, granted, it was a Marvel video game panel, but still, the only other time there's ever been a video game in Hall H in Comic Con's history was Pokemon Go. And that was two weeks after the peak of the Pokemon Go craze. That was two weeks after it launched, and they scrambled to put it in Hall H. But besides that, you don't Wasn't normally that have gaming. Was more a Niantic panel than a Pokemon Go panel? No, that one was only Pokemon Go. The one they were supposed to do this year and then canceled at the last minute was Pokemon Go and Ingress and probably their Harry Potter game. But then they canceled it. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to have a big presence at Con Con this year, and then literally like the week before, they pulled out, and all they did was they had uh, – you could catch unknowns around Con Con. And the, the bummer is for them, there's a lot of Pokemon Go going on this year. I heard a lot of people just name dropping. I saw people on shuttles playing it and in lines playing it. Like they could have gotten a big crowd. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was as much as we saw um, the year it came out because that was nuts. That was the second week of its existence. And it was like peak, peak Pokemon Go. But like this year, the only thing that came close to that much being that prevalent at Comic Con was probably those bird scooters. Which were like everywhere. You could not escape those things. But um, no, it it they really missed an opportunity here because there's a lot of people. But oh well, it's on oh, them. Oh, indeed. Yeah, but I, don't, I, I like the whole gaming influx thing is kind of nice because I don't think it's just Comic Con it's happening at. Like, I mean, you were at Anime Expo, and from what you've told me, it seems like even their gaming had a bigger presence than it used to. Well, they always have games, but but they're like more, right? The only no. The, I think the only difference was just that a lot of them were just demoable on Switch, so they were just more relevant to us no but like companies that were never there like gung-ho were there for the first time oh, i don't know i guess maybe i just didn't notice but yeah because I, I, I feel like when we went there were only like two or like there's nis america there was you know like two others and that was it or maybe like namco bandai would be there with a dragon ball game they seem to be everywhere with a dragon ball game wherever you go there's a dragon ball game uh but yeah i don't know i just yeah there were the dragon ball games and then, yeah i mean there were just a lot of things to demo yeah and i mean there were always panels for games at ama expo but even that there were like three or four this year it's usually like one or two like companies came out that didn't normally come out yeah there was definitely a lot to play on the switch which was pretty access cool. that's the other company i'm thinking of is nis and access that are always there mm-hmm. but uh yeah so like i don't know it's just maybe like maybe i'm just overthinking this a bit but i i just get the feeling that gaming suddenly I feel like we crossed some sort of imaginary line and it's becoming like super mainstream. I mean, it's always been mainstream. I'm not trying to say it's some magic moment because there's a Tomb Raider banner on a building at Comic-Con. But like this all is happening at the same time that ESPN, like the regular channel, not one of the numbered channels, the real ESPN, is announcing plans to broadcast the Overwatch League. Like that's huge. And they're going to put it on ABC on Friday nights as well, or at least one time. This is also when you got Capcom. They're announcing like, oh, we're going to do an animated special for Monster Hunter. But instead of giving their license out, giving the IP out like as a license to a studio and just consulting on it, they're actually hiring the talent themselves and bringing them in house to produce it, or working with a production company directly or something oh, like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like in this case, the guy who wrote Ultimate Spider-Man is the one that Capcom is like, "Come do this for us." Instead of, "Here's the license, do what you want. We'll check in every so often." Like, there's definitely some sort of shift happening where like these things are becoming bigger. Um, the the special actually sounds kind of neat for Monster Hunter to be honest. It's um, it's called Monster Hunter Legend of the Guild, I want to say, or something like that. 
and you follow the premise is really simple but you follow a young monster hunter he discovers that there's an elder dragon he's going to destroy the village he has to stop it that's all we know so far but it's like the plot of like every monster hunter game basically yeah. but it, it's just cool that like they're actually like could you imagine five years ago when nintendo was like we're gonna help co-market monster Hunter because we want to hopefully one day do decently in america and now it's like big enough to get an anime special like it's a western produced anime special not a japanese one kind of kind of crazy it's pretty awesome is there much story in monster hunter i mean i really know yeah no i mean it's i mean what you describe is pretty much how you could sum up most monster hunter stories but like is it like is it like the mario movie situation where you have to kind of come up with a whole thing because the premise is so simple that oh you know yeah yeah well hopefully mr ultimate spider-man guy whose name i'm forgetting i mean can well, I mean, for one thing, when you're playing Monster Hunter, like, I mean, you have those just broad objectives, like, oh, this Elder Dragon is causing mischief or causing earthquakes. Let's go yeah. take care of them. Yeah. So, but your character doesn't really have any kind of personality. So, obviously, the show would, I don't know, follow up maybe some sort of drama, like, oh, maybe this character is like a rookie or something. He has to, like, learn the ropes and right. he, like, struggles to do, uh, so. do so. And maybe his lack of experience causes a major. I don't know, maybe a major death early on that he has to, like, cope with or something. I don't know. Mm. I mean, there's a lot they could do. Right, right. I mean, it's a world that typically doesn't have that kind of characterization, but... And they have till 2019 to figure it out. Or there's a lot of tell, don't show. Right. But now they could do the Now they can show and tell. Yeah. Yeah, and it's supposed to be out next year, so they have time. But uh, I assume you're going to watch it, Mr. Monster Hunter. Maybe. Maybe. I thought I was going to watch the Castlevania anime... And you still have Netflix, but I haven't even touched it. Season two is coming up in October. I'm still looking forward to looking at it, to checking it out. They just haven't had time. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's been an Monster Hunter anime already. Yeah, but that was more like kid friendly, wasn't it? Is that what Monster Hunter Stories borrowed its look from? There's been two. Well, I mean, Monster Hunter Stories spawned an anime based on it. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. But there was another one that was just Monster Hunter. Or maybe it was just a manga. It's been a long time. There's definitely a Monster Hunter manga, though. Oh, yeah. In Japan, it's been popular for a while. No, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, partly yeah. why Nintendo and Capcom are like, let's make it a thing in America. And then Capcom's like, thanks, Nintendo, and brings world to everything but Switch. But, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the one other thing we should probably say about Comic-Con before we move on is um, I was saying, oh, it's so big for gaming. But let's be honest. You know what Comic-Con really is? It's one big pop final convention. <laughs> like, for anyone who hasn't been to Comic-Con, so many booths have pop vinyls, and I honestly do not get it. Now, now to be fair, anyone that is like following me on social media will see I just posted a picture of a pop vinyl, but it's a Conan one. I got it for free, and he signed it. What am I gonna do about it? Like he, I, I yeah. But uh, no, like I don't. Just when you I think they it. saturated their own market, you see that they're still selling all like crazy. So it's like, oh, I guess it's like huh. when's the bubble gonna burst? I mean, I like I don't. Like, why would I want all these different characters to all have the same black voids for eyes and, like, all have square heads and all look kind of same? It just, like, sucks the personality out of everything. Like, I don't quite get it. It literally looks like they took the character and sucked out the personality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's weird. And, like, you'd think the bubble would burst at some point. But there's literally – not only are there booths full of these things, but you go to some of the off-site stuff in Comic-Con – What's your prize? Oh, it's a pop vinyl. Or you go like FYE set up a special Comic-Con store. 80% of the store was just pop vinyls. It was that and Pickle Rick merch. Everyone had yeah. Pickle Rick. They were selling Comic-Con exclusive pickles that were branded as Pickle Rick. They were just pickles, but they had Rick and Morty on the front of them. It was ridiculous. But yeah, the pop yeah, thing. During, during Comic-Con, they also announced a Blu-ray 
like the Blu-ray version of the Batman the Animated Series, the whole series. Like, on does Blu-ray. it come with a pop vinyl? Yeah, it comes with a pop vinyl. Oh, like, for God's sake! It's like it comes with a bunch of really <laughs> cool stuff, but then it also has a pop vinyl. Like, listen, I I ha- I went through my amiibo phase. I get it. Collecting, you get really into it. You went through it too. But like, why are the why are these the thing that blows up? Like nothing. If you like them, that's great. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to diss you. I like, but I don't phase, but... know what the what your amiibo thing. Well, Mine was a phase. Well, yeah, yours definitely was because yeah. it was like you just kind of picked here and there. Yeah. I before they came out, I was like, all right, that's my goal: get the Smash Bros. ones, and that's it. That's still a phase. That's... that's just a very organized phase. <laughs> I mean, a phase is something I feel like when you just kind of come in and out. But you did because you refused to buy the new ones, even though they're still Smash Bros. So it is a phase. You left it. You left behind the Smash Bros. I'm getting the new characters, not any reason. Oh, see, we last talked about this and you said you weren't. I can play the tape. It's on audio. We have it last episode. I said I was probably getting Ridley, but I'm definitely not getting Inkling Girl because she pretty much looks the same. Oh, right. You might have said that. But then you still don't have the full set. Anyway, we're going through the same conversation again. Um, Yeah, okay, maybe yours was less of a phase. But the point still stands that, like, I don't understand what's going on with Pop. Like, I thought they'd be Beanie Babies, but... And you know, the thing is, when pop, when the pop bubble pops, they're a publicly traded company. Beanie Baby wasn't. So, like, that, whew, what else does Fungo have? I don't even know. But but, but they, maybe it won't pop anytime soon because it turns out they're just I mean, a Pokemon license. To their credit, they've been doing a lot more than just pop. They do have a ton of other vinyl stuff, but, I mean, they haven't, the uh, BDI things aren't the only thing they're doing. That's true. That's true. They have the other ones that have a Z at the end that I'm forgetting. I forget what they're called. Yeah, and like honestly, like I have all I have one or two Conan pops from each year, and I do like those. Like it's not like, like I actually no, I have one Mister Robot one. It was a Con Con exclusive. It was him in the mask, in the like F Society mask, and I was fine with that because it's like, oh, they don't really sell Mister Robot merch, so this will be what I get, which I guess is a big part of it because a lot of things you can't get merch of normally. Like they have Captain Crunch character pops. No, yeah, they why. I don't know, but if you love the Crunchberry monster, guess what? You can finally own him. This is your one chance. No, yeah, they... One thing I do enjoy about Pop is seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes. Oh, it's very deep. It's like... And every year, like, we always find one, like, when we go, like, to, like, E3... No, yeah. No, actually, this year was Anime Expo, where I think all of a sudden we saw... It was, like, a random character from Teen Titans Go that came out for one episode, <laughs> and they had a Pop. Yeah. Which, um, as you mentioned, yeah, we did go to a screening, and it was really cool, but... Apparently wasn't a highlight though, even though you got to see the whole cast and go to the after party. Um, no, it wasn't a highlight. All right, fair. I, I don't, I don't think there's a word for something bigger than a highlight, but that's higher light. <laughs> it was there. Godly. You go a higher it, it, light. It, it was godly. It was um, go- oh wow! I saw clearly I lowballed the uh, description for it when I was asking your highlights. Um, I don't think lowball is low enough for what you did to it, but. Yeah, there's just like <laughs> so many pops, like so many. It, it it seems like they're not gonna stop until they've literally made a pop for every character that's ever existed. And here's the problem: they're getting closer. Fortnite just signed on, and more importantly, Pokemon signed on. Yeah. Are you ready for this? There's 700 of those guys, there's and you know there's gonna be very. I think there's about 900 now, and there's gonna be shiny ones, and there's gonna be like Pikachu in a hat, and Surfer Pikachu, and like Brock's. There's gonna be hundreds Arcanine of Pikachu. And... I mean. You see how many Batman they have? It's ridiculous. I know. Right? I'm a little afraid. Like, and, right now... And, and that's just, like, Batman's based on, like, Batman characters. And they still have, like, oh, here's Chrome Batman, all blue Batman, all blah, blah, blah. Here's Joker Batman. Like, Dude, just, I'm telling you, yeah. the Pokemon thing. So, Pokemon... It's funny how Pokemon came out, because I think Pop was going to do it as a big Comic-Con reveal. It was like, we have Pokemon! 
and then Target accidentally um, sold it early. The Pikachu that's out right now is a Target exclusive Pop Pikachu. So then, <laughs> so then Pop just put out a tiny little press release. It's literally two sentences. It's just like, yeah, we're uh, we're making a Pikachu and we'll have more to share soon. Um, yeah, we got Pokemon. Isn't that cool? Yep. And that's it. And we haven't heard anything else about their plans. But they're testing the waters at least with the Pikachu. And I'm a little afraid because, you know, if they have Pokemon, you know what's next is Nintendo. Hot. It's a short hop, skip, and a jump to Nintendo. Yeah. So get ready For to have Fire Flower Mario, yeah. Ice Mario, Penguin Mario, Star Mario, uh, Wing Cap Mario, Tanuka Flood Mario, Tanuka Mario, Frog Mario, Penguin. Raccoon Mario, Mar- Mario, Mario, <laughs> Cat Mario, Metal Mario, Gold Medal Mario, Baby Mario. I'm at 13 already, and yeah. I haven't even done most of them. Now repeat that with Luigi. And now repeat that with Peach, and repeat that with Daisy, and yeah. This is going to be a nightmare. The only way I would see Nintendo not being willing to do it or do I reason is because they still do Amiibo and it will slightly cannibalize. But then again, they have the huge Jack Pacific line, so maybe it won't. And will it cannibalize the Jack Pacific line? I don't know. Like the world Nintendo thing's huge. Like they have so many toys for that. Yeah, I mean, huge. And, like, and a lot of those are Amiibo size. They almost look yeah, like they look like should Amiibo. be Amiibos. Yeah, but they, they just have, don't have the sand. But honestly, Jacks has some cool ones. Like I have one on my desk at work. It's like a, it's an eight bit Mario, but it has like a, a metallic thing to it to be like Star Mario. It's like slightly rainbow tie dyed. If you move it in the light, it's like they do some cool stuff that's different. But yeah, like get ready if, if Nintendo's and I think Nintendo's probably gonna get it, it's getting close because back at E three, Reggie told IGN in an interview that Nintendo is open to major new partnerships. He was talking about in the context of movies and theme parks. But he's saying anything that seems like a major opportunity, they're willing to do. Gesundheit. Gesundheit. And um, Pop would certainly fit the bill considering it's one of the hottest collectibles around, even though I don't know why. I mean, why it's a collectible, not why it's the hottest. Why, because why it would one fit for the everybody. There is. For anime like, lovers. Like, literally, one of, the, one of the exclusives at Comic-Con The ones that was, bother me, yeah. the most are many of the ones based on, like, real life people because those end up just looking the same yep like at least with the, the cur- hair is the only thing that's different in the yeah case. like like usually the hair usually like some of the clothes but a lot of them like like they don't even they, they can't look like their actor counterparts it's just a generic face square wearing, jawed box head yeah like just wearing like maybe some recognizable clothing but yeah. if they're not it's like oh but the, and those right. are usually the ones that become exclusives because they're probably the easiest for Funko to make molds oh, of. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, like, at Comic-Con, one of the big exclusives this year was the Ron Swanson in Cornrows pop vinyl, which, to be clear, is a five-minute gag in one episode of Parks and Rec. And he had his own vinyl pop figure. And people were going nuts for it. I was chatting with someone in line. They were, like, all about it, <laughs> which is, like, great. That's awesome. But, man, this bubble is never going to be there. And now I think Nintendo's almost there, but Pokemon is. Um, but, yeah, believe it or not, not everything that happened since our last episode has been at Comic-Con. And not everything at Comic-Con was pop finals, to be fair. It was a fun show, and there's more than pop. There are video games, there are movies, there are TV. Like, I enjoyed Comic-Con. I assume you did. We could say that. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you've never been, even even if you can't get a badge, there's so much stuff going around, like, around outside the convention, the off-site stuff. Like, we did a really cool South Park escape room. Um there was a cool DC Universe thing where I got to wear a Arkham Asylum jumpsuit and just smash things with a baseball bat in a prison cell. That that was a thing. Uh, yeah, there's like a lot of cool stuff. So it, if you're ever in around San Diego around July, check it out. At least for today, it's worth it. But but beyond Comic Con, things have been happening. In fact, there's been a fair amount of news outside of the convention itself, particularly when it comes to new game reveals. And uh, the biggest thing I think. 
or not biggest thing, but perhaps bigger than the game reveals themselves is, you know, we'll get to the games in a bit, but it's what Nintendo's goals are for those games. So when Nintendo's official translation of its shareholder Q&A came out, uh, this was shortly after our last episode, there was a nugget of information on there that kind of jumped out at me. And that is that Nintendo wants to release 20 to 30 indie games per week on the eShop. 20 to 30 every single week. This, in the beginning, that's horrible. Yeah, so this goal was stated by a senior executive at Nintendo. Uh, he's, his official title is Senior Executive Officer, and his name is Susumu Tanaka. And we don't say his name very much on the show, but he's a very key part of Nintendo. So the CEO. No, he's not the CEO. Is he's he like a the, Senior Executive Officer? That's an S. Oh, SEO. <laughs> I know, it's it's the Comic-Con, we're tired, I know. It's SEO, yeah. Um, which is also how you rank higher on Google. So this man is literally a Google algorithm is what I'm guessing. But no, he, uh, he's been in town since 1978. He does a lot of the business side stuff. So this comment of 20 to 30 games, the reason I'm saying all of this background, it's not a throwaway comment. It's something with real weight behind it and something Nintendo's actually going to be trying to do. And to Tanaka's credit, like the intentions are, of course, good. He cites how so many indies have sold over a million games on Switch, um... Uh, he talked about how Nintendo's ready to assist in any way necessary to facilitate things like cross-play. So again, you know, all good things for a vibrant lineup. He wants there to be a vibrant lineup. But yeah, I don't know if 20 or 30 games... Like, that that's a lot to sustain over a long period of time. I mean, lately the eShop has been... We've been seeing about 20 games a week. But I mean, how many of those can you name? There's about between 18 and 24, let's say, on a given week of the eShop right now on the Switch. I can't name more than one or two in any given week. And even then, I don't even know every week to week. Sometimes there's gaps. I just don't know what the games are. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, can you just off the top of your head be like, oh, yeah, yeah, last week was like... I don't know. Pocket Fighters came out not that long before... Pocket Fighters came out July 12th. Not that long before... Um... It's been two weeks. You're missing 40 games already. <laughs> I was going to say not that long before Comic-Con, so... Yeah, it was July 12th. Um, yeah. yeah, Octopath Traveler came out, I know that. But it's just like... I, I guess my point is like even... Like, it's there's no way. There's no way this makes sense. Like, even Tanaka's comment had like a weird qualifier where he sort of admits that, okay, yeah, this is crazy. Because he said, and I quote, We definitely expect to see some great games among them. That's kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So like, oh, okay. So, so here's the real concern, right? Like, right now... There's a lot of indies that do very well on Switch. I mean, Kotaku Australia, they recently put up this article. Uh, we'll link to it in the blog post for those who want to read the whole thing. But they discuss with indies themselves like what they like about the Switch. And it all really boils down to the fact that Switch owners are hungry for new content. This is a new idea, really. But, you know, they cite that Hall, uh, Hollow Knight, 250,000 copies in two weeks. That's a stat we knew from E3. That's already half of what sold on PC in its first year. It did in two weeks on Switch. Death Squared, those guys, uh, that developer, uh, that game's developer, they're continuing to see sales move along because indies, as they explain it, have often found that there's a longer tail on eShop sales than, say, on Steam because there's fewer games, so people discover them later on easier. Uh, They also reference sales of a co-op game called Putty Pals, uh, Kotaku does, that I don't think I've ever heard of personally, but it sold more in its first day on Switch than its prior eight months on Steam. Have you ever heard of Putty, Putty Pals? Pals? Yes, I have. Oh, would you like to they explain it on, what it is? They played it on Nintendo Minute. <laughs> oh, they did? I don't watch every Nintendo Minute. I'm sorry, King Krista. I don't know I how apologize. I even ended up on that game. I think I just thought because the art style, I guess, caught my eye. It's just like kind of claymation looking. 
But then with all the giving, I'm like, oh, it's not really for me. Um, so that's how it sold eight times, or sold more on Switch than eight months worth of Steam. I mean, it's not a bad game. It's it's a it's a co-op yeah, game. It just doesn't line um, up. You're pretty much just two little pieces of putty. You could turn into a trampoline to help your buddy out to get to higher places. And they could pull you up, mm-hmm. vice versa. Use each other to get through obstacles. But the game is a has a very Kirby level of difficulty kind of mm. look to it. So not easy. A, not not a bad thing, easy. but. <laughs> It's like I'd rather put that energy in other games. No, that's totally fair. Not every game's for everyone, yeah. No, but I, I'm just pointing out because Kotaku mentioned it as an example of sales going nuts. But the, the same article also makes a key point, which is that even with these overly positive stats, um, it's all to some degree because of the lack of clutter on the eShop right now, right? Like, games sell well because people can find them currently. They sell because there's only a finite number of them currently. So if people want something more to play, they have only so many options to choose from. And there will always be games that do well because of word of mouth, even if the eShop gets cluttered. Like, developers of uh, a game called Party Golf actually said that the reason for their success was word of mouth. But the thing is, the more games you stack in, the harder it is to fight for that attention, the harder harder it is to get people to talk about you over someone else, over someone else, over someone else. Case in point, when we were down in San Diego, Kotaku, the other Kotaku, American Kotaku, they published an interview with the head of the heads of Dylan's Dead Heat Breakers, and it was Nintendo's what? own, you know, the, the Nintendo, oh yeah, 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 it was Nintendo's own producer, the guy who works at Nintendo and oversees the outside development of uh, Dylan by the guys at Vanpool. He was the one who, in the interview, lamented how little exposure the game got. He said, and I quote. What I see personally is that many people are not aware that the game has been released, and I want more people to play this game. The game's out? Exactly. I thought it was still see, in the works. this is what's funny. You have the director of the game who works at Vampool. He's going on, and he's going in the interview and being much more diplomatic about this whole idea of word of mouth. And, you know, you could spread the word of mouth, and it's fine. Like, our game will do great. But then you have Kensuke Tanabe, the literal dude from Nintendo, who should know how this all works. He's the one sitting there describing how his own company isn't getting enough eyeballs on the game or spreading the word. Like, you don't even know, and you host a podcast. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, it's it shows the problem of, at some point, word of mouth can only do so much. I mean, then again, Tanabe going off script here isn't that crazy, because he was pretty open about a lot of stuff in this interview. He mentioned at one point that Tingle, as in, yeah, the Zelda series Tingle, was going to start a horror game. Which I kind of wish happened because I just want to know what how what is a Tingle horror game? What is horrific about t- like well a lot of things are horrific about Tingle, but he's a strange strange man. But what is uh what would a horror game with Tingle even be? Like I don't even know how that would work. I'm intrigued, but we'll never know. It got canceled eight years ago. But do you, mm. I mean, do you have any ideas what would make a good Tingle horror game? I can't even think of anything. No, and it's that's, just so and that's what's so horrifying about it. Yeah, it's just weird yeah. I don't know but anyway my point is this issue of game overload is very real as evident by Dylan uh, by Dylan's Dead Heat Breakers so if it can happen on 3DS from Nintendo's own first party uh, games then it can certainly and it not only can but will happen on Switch with third party and indie games I mean, feel like it's already happening yeah like this isn't a new concept we've talked about it on the show before in various degrees and we're seeing it happen there's just something about Nintendo outright saying a number for weekly releases that just like kind of gave me pause. Like I don't know it. In my like in my opinion, what they should have done, 
they should they should have made better eShop discovery or curation part of their answer. When someone was asking whatever the question was that led to we're gonna get 20, 30 games a week, they should probably you know talk about how you're gonna find those games instead of just raw numbers because that's just as important. Like a shareholder at face value might be like, oh cool, you're gonna have seven hundred thousand games by next year. That's awesome. But none, if none of those sell, you're going to then lose those developers and you won't get the next 700000 a year later and things will just taper off. It's like, I know a lot of shareholders are uninformed. One guy literally said, do we get a chance to play the E3 games at 2? We, we weren't in LA. And I was like, that's not what this is for. So like, I get that they're a little confused. But like, still, like it's, it's yeah, I don't know. Because cause here's the thing. Right now, the Switch, the Switch has over 900 games available. Which sounds like a lot. It is a lot. The Wii U, in four and a half years, had a thousand games was all said and done. Which, you know, obviously it was the weakest system for Nintendo in a while. But that means that Switch will be surpassing the Wii U's total lifetime game count about every 16 to 18 months. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. So, like I did the math. It, yeah. So, um, that doesn't necessarily seem like a good thing to me. I don't know. Now, take uh, take that 20 30 games a week. Let's actually multiply this out. Every new month, we're getting about 100 new games. That's ridiculous, if you think about it. And then, depending on what Nintendo lets through and how they go about doing it, that seems like it's an opportunity for a lot of crappy games to get through. Like It seems like not only do you have oversaturation to deal with, but then you also will just let anything in if you are trying to hit a numerical exclusively, you know? Oh, yeah. So it, it's hard to say. And, and the thing is, let's say they do hit that crazy number of games. As more indies hop on, fewer will do as well. And as fewer do as well, those of them that didn't are not going to release additional platform or products on the platform. It's, it's, it's over and done with. And on top of that, there's also the fact that Nintendo's own first-party games are slowly – or first-party developers are all slowly migrating to Switch. Alpha Dream. They make the Mario and Luigi games, right? They're the developers of that. They have only worked for handhelds previously. They've only done DS, 3DS, Game Boy Advance. Guess what they just started hiring for? A Switch project. Now imagine every single quirky JRPG that's ever come out on the DS or 3DS. All those developers, where are they going to go next? The Switch. So now I do have the indies. Now I do you have the first party output. Now I do you have the third parties. But now I have all this stuff that needs to be sectioned off in another section, in another console, all on top of that. Which is, again, great if that's your genre of choice. But they're talking 20 to 30 indie releases a week, not even including all those other games I just mentioned. That's yeah. that's crazy. Sounds like playing games and keeping up with them should be a full-time job. Yeah, like, it, it's it's the total... The, the, the crazy thing is it's a total Catch-22 scenario, and there's no answer to this. Like, to be fair, Nintendo, even with all these factors at play, they're still way better off than Steam, which, no exaggeration, receives an average of 180 new games per week. 180 a week. No, that That's is... crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm just thinking that trying to hit a numerical goal for weekly games is the wrong approach. Like it, it should be about providing a place where finding these games can prop, you know, where these games can shine, where finding them can be easy. Even if that means maybe you only do four or five a week. Like call me crazy, but I take 20 to 30 a month. It just feels more manageable. I was happy with the one to two games a month from Nintendo. Defect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and it's funny because like I do I do appreciate the irony of me ranting about this because we spent so many years of this show complaining about a lack of game on Wii a lack of games on a Wii U, and now here we are discussing how oh no now there's too many games on Switch like you can't please us really, but 
But I'm just getting like shades of Wii shovelware days. That's the only reason I even like launched into all this. Like there's when you have a numerical goal to hit, especially when you're um, when you need to meet that goal because you're telling investors you're going for that goal. Yeah, there's no there's no filter here. There's no curation, anything and everything. We're gonna get another skunk bundle on Switch. Oh boy. Yeah. Which, you know, on the one hand, that's great for freedom of choice for people. Everyone can find something they want. Even the people that want to play Skunk Bundle can play that. For those of you who don't know what that is, go Google it. It's insane um, But on the in a bad way. But on the other hand, it just makes it so much harder to find good stuff. So so with that in mind, we did want to talk about a couple of those potentially good ones that are coming down the pipe. So at least someone out there gets word of them. Now, these are ones that are either unexpected or just maybe ones you haven't heard of. So not all little games. Um, but we're not going to talk about like South Park Stick of Truth is coming to Switch. Okay. Uh, Spyro Reignited Trilogy. That was accidentally posted. As the Switch version was leaked on its website. Cool. So that's coming. Now we're talking about stuff that you wouldn't expect or stuff that you just never heard of. You know, stuff like Warframe, for example. Like, I'll be honest about Warframe. Prior to the Switch version announcement, I didn't really ever hear about Warframe. Did you ever really hear about Warframe? Yes, that game was really, really popular. No, so that's the thing. I mean, like, I knew the name. The name was familiar. But as someone who prides myself on being up on the latest, like, big gaming trends, it never really made a blip on my radar. It's weird. Like, it, it's... Because you're pretty terrible at following them. No, I'm pretty decent. <laughs> I know most kidding. of the big ones. I know. But I know. no, it's weird because, like, it's... So it came out in 2013 as a beta. I looked, I looked into this. And in March, this past March, I already had 38 million players. And yet, I, like, it... It's become one of Steam's most played games across the whole service. And it was up for a Best Ongoing Game Award at the Game Awards last year. So it is around. But, like, you don't hear about it the same way you hear about Fortnite or about Minecraft. But it's it's, – or about League of Legends or about Arena of Valor. I mean, what you're saying right now, that's how I heard about it. Like The Game Awards? No, oh. like, like what you're describing right now, like, like, oh, like the same way you hear about Fortnite, the same way you hear about Minecraft. See, I never heard it. I, I don't that, that, that's how often I would hear about it. Oh. The same way I would hear about Fortnite and Minecraft and Overwatch. It was like, oh, have you played Warframe? Oh, you should check out Warframe, Warframe, Warframe. I never, Warframe. I never. Like kids were playing Warframe, like, I mean, like kids Oh, yeah, because you're at school. Yeah, you do with school kids, so. Elementary school kids don't play Warframe. I would oh. hear it from when I would occasionally talk to like high school ones. I had a lot of friends that would get into it and they would tell me to play it or download it on. How have I? Where am I in a weird bubble? Like I'm usually pretty good about this. It's so weird because you only have Nintendo consoles. But um, I, but I go like reset era and all like the forums where I talk about all these things. It's so weird. I never heard about it. But um, I will say, it coming to Switch. In spite of all that, I never played it. But yeah. Right, but it coming to Switch is kind of cool. Like it, um, it seemed like from what I gathered after it's announced, as a surprise even for folks familiar with the game that would hit Switch. So after the trailer hit, I decided to actually do some digging, learn a bit about the game, and yeah, it actually looks like a great get for Nintendo. I mean, it's it's for those who don't. Apparently, the whole world knows about, it, but if there's anyone out there who's like me and doesn't. Um, what we're talking about here is it's a free to play competitive or cooperative, excuse me, shooter, and you and up to three friends, you or three others, you all team up, you complete missions. Uh, it goes from like finding objects to finding monsters to protecting things. It's kind of Monster Hunter-esque, except it's a shooter instead of a Monster Hunter, like instead of a hack and slash. So you have your own strengths, you have your own weaknesses, uh, you have a team and you want to play off them depending on what class you pick. You go on these lengthy missions, they're ranked by difficulty ahead of time. It, you know, you, you work together, you each have special skills and you achieve the goal and it's very much like any sort of co-op. But I get a very heavy Monster Hunter vibe from the concept of it, but the thing that actually struck me as particularly cool about it 
is with Warframe, um, when you pick your abilities, it's not just a typical class system, apparently. You can actually kind of riff on it. You have flexibility to take a preset and then kind of mod it however you want with all these different components, and there's a lot of them. These are what the Warframes themselves are from the game's name, and the developers apparently introduce a new one like every three to five months, which is a lot of new stuff very frequently. And then there's a competitive mode on top of that if you don't want to work together, and there's, um... Yeah, and there's... just It just seems like there's a lot going on in this game. It's I don't know how I never heard about it. The one downside is there's not a system in place for crossplay, which is a bit ironic given that Fortnite just came to Switch and has it baked in, and that Rocket League actually just got updated the other week to allow you to form teams across platforms for the first time, including on Switch. So Rocket League is not just you can play competitors on another system, you can now team up and make a room with someone on another system. But with Warframe, apparently Digital Extremes, they're a developer, they have not yet put in a system at all to allow any sort of cross-platform multiplayer. Uh, let alone the ability to log into your existing Warframe account and then use all that. What they do allow on other platforms and what they're planning to at least do as a bare minimum on Switch is you can do a one-time account transfer of your Warframe stuff from the other platform into the Switch version where it will then live forever. Ooh. Yeah. But that issue aside, like the game's not out, has no release date. So that issue aside, this just seems like such a perfect fit for Switch. I Like it... It complements so many other big games on the system. I mean, you got the online angle of Fortnite or Rocket League. You've got kind of the thematic and visual feel of Doom and Wolfenstein. It's all very fitting, given that Panic Button, the guys who made Rocket League and Doom and Wolfenstein Switch ports, they are the ones behind Warframe for Switch. So it all comes together. It all makes sense. And and this, by the way, was the big third-party game that they were teasing after E3 last month. Warframe was the game. Although apparently... Apparently, they have even more coming down the pipe. They did a Reddit AMA and were asked if they have Switch projects in the works besides Warframe. They replied with one word, tons. So I guess the guessing game that we were doing when they first announced this after E3 is going to continue. Who knows what other games they have, but they apparently have tons. And, like, is it safe to say now, do you think, that Panic Button's, like, the premier Switch developer at the moment? I guess so. Like, they, they're killing it. Like, they really have become the go-to studio for high-quality ports. And, like, I have no reason to doubt that Warframe won't be high-quality, but, like, Rocket League's solid. Doom is great. Wolfenstein is supposedly very impressive for being able to cram that much into that little of specs. Like, Pangman's on fire. So I'm really curious to see what they do next. I'm excited. Hopefully all the employees get raises. I'd be, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, Warframe... It's a bonus. Yeah, that, they should definitely get that. Warframe also kind of highlights one of the upsides of having a massive game lineup on Switch. Like, for all the railing I did against the potential of too many games, which was a long amount, a lot of railing, uh, one big plus is the fact that if you're a fan of any game, you can pretty easily find similar games to play if you want more of that genre. That's something that you never, we never got to have on Wii U. It's like, oh, you want a horror game? Here's the one Resident Evil you can play on Wii U. But on Switch, you have dozens upon dozens. And um, this applies to literally every genre like we're seeing it now with pokemon a lot of diehard fans are upset that let's go is stripped down i know like you have zero interest in let's go right yeah but i understand its place in the world well yeah yeah but a lot of fans are like oh well i want a real pokemon game i don't want to wait till pokemon rpg in 2019 necessarily or whatever and that you know they kind of want that to scratch that itch yeah. now and then out of nowhere all these different games are getting announced that kind of fill that void so one is uh not much to say about but yokai watch 4 they're taking the Yokai Watch from 3DS and basically going full 3D with it. It's kind of the evolution into HD that I think a lot of people probably expected Pokemon to go through. 
but it never did. Uh, but that's what I announced for Japan right now. The other one that's more interesting, although much further out, is a project called uh, Temtem. And to be very upfront about this, Temtem is a Kickstarter project. It's a fully funded one, mind you, but it is Kickstarter not nonetheless. And as Maya number 9 taught us all, it is very easy to get burned by a game that's pitched one way and then turns out to be entirely different. So we, you know, we usually don't talk about Kickstarter projects for this reason, but this one just, to me at least, sounded really cool, so I wanted to slot in because um, the, the the promise of Temtem is just yeah, that's all I was gonna say. It just looks promising. Yeah, like it's essentially the Pokemon MMO that people have always wanted. You travel around, you catch and battle different types of poke of monsters. I almost said Pokemon <laughs> of monsters. And there's a central story that kind of drives you through the single-player narrative. And then, you know, all the trainers around you are now actual other people, which is cool. It's a very, very cool idea. Uh, the game isn't due out to like, late 2019 or early 2020 since it's it only just got its funding. Which, by the way, they asked for uh, $73,000. They have over half a million last I checked. And that was before Comic-Con that I pulled that number. So, so basically, because I'm tight. Because I'm tight. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. But basically, um, my point is this game might be out after the proper Pokemon RPG on Switch. But hey, you're done with that one and you want something new. Here you go. Especially because I doubt that... Um, Pokemon will make it an MMO. Yeah. No, I, I seriously doubt they're going to yeah. do that, which is great. It's, and not only that, but even if... Let's say even if they did make it an MMO, uh, MMO one huge difference with Temtem is that it has a battle system with no random factors at all. They're trying to make it a little more competitive. So it's still all turn-based and whatnot, like normal Pokemon, but they're taking away evasion, accuracy, critical hits, effect rate for status conditions, all that stuff. In other words, this is literally how developers are describing it. it they want it to be competitive. Hmm. So I gotta ask you, Mister. You only want to play Pokemon for the battles. What are your thoughts on them stripping out the random and making it strictly moves where you know the outcome? That's fine. Or, or like, are you are you more into that idea, or are you more into having some element of chance involved? I don't mind either. I mean, the element of chance. I mean, that's just what it is. It's an element of chance. You could choose to create a move set that is all chance based, or include a move that has a thirty percent hit rate. But that's on you. That's just how I see it. I mean, it could be it could be part of a skill for strategy where you try to up your Pokemon's accuracy so that you can land those moves. I mean, that's its own skill. So I don't really see... I mean, there are ways around it. That's just the thing. I mean, the most random aspect of Pokemon, I feel, is just the critical hit. Right. Which has actually made a big difference in some battles, but it doesn't happen enough that to bother me. But do you think, like, if they take away random... Like, I'm just thinking out loud here. If they take away random, is it actually limiting the 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 um, options the strategy options maybe a little bit it might just get rid of some of the frustrations but I don't know, it could be better it could be worse I don't know it's hard to say at this point right yeah I mean yeah the game's barely even in existence but I I will but say it, but the fact that it's not clear what direction it could go either way I think it's good right know. yeah I think I think that gives hope but I I will say though that even in its early form we don't know how battles will pan out but the game looks quite nice like graphically speaking it looks very nice like everything's cell shaded really clean and at the end of the day it comes down to the designs of the monsters yeah they're okay I mean that's what keeps me coming back to Pokemon I mean I love Chatot I love there's always new Pokemon I love so right so if they do a good job then it all works out Yeah. yeah whether it lives up to the full potential of course remains to be seen 
but 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 while we're on the topic of games that riff on things you like and things I like, uh, how about Smash Bros. But also basketball. I like the arts though. Of of Slamland. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, we're talking about this game called Slamland. Uh, you take. It's like you take the 2D plane of Smash Bros, and instead of punching and throwing each other off the stage, you're tossing your opponents into holes around the stage that kind of look like basketballs. And it's all sort of like, how would you describe the art style? I mean, it's like sketchbooky almost. Hand-drawn, flat. But it has like, it has like lots of pencil lines everywhere. And it looks like Teen Titans Go, I guess. I yeah, okay, yeah, that works. But um, what am I thinking of? There's no pencil lines in this. Just with thinner outlines? Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, it's um, you're doing all this by the way. You're throwing people into ba- into holes at the behest of a very large blue man who just lingers in the background on some stages. I don't, I don't really get it. It's very strange, but it seems like a lot of fun because you're essentially doing uh, like a typical fighting game with lunges and grapples and dodges. But then you're also like like a casual fighting game, but then you're also like throwing people into baskets. Yeah, yeah, but it's um, you know, it's it's like Smash in that they actually gotta let you do time based challenges or you stock. Uh, there's also, of course, a few riffs on the fact that it's basketball. So there's a couple different modes. There's one called Peanut, where a character's holding a peanut, and the longer you hold the peanut, the higher your score goes. Um, so and it's then like when King they of the Hill. Get, it's like King of the Hill. And then there's Horse, which is the most normal basketball mode, um, except you're throwing NPCs labeled with each letter into the whole hoops, and you have to compete with a different NPC. And then there's, um, separately from that, there's uh, Trash, where you're there's stacks of trash falling from the sky into huge towers and then you have to dunk you're like they're falling and you're holding them and they become huge towers and they have to like dunk them and whoever has the highest trash gets the most points and you know more points and that sort of thing it's certainly like slamline's certainly more of a party game than it is a competitive game but i definitely get a smash bros vibe from it yeah i can get that i mean it looks like a platformer like a platform fighter if you're just looking at it it looks like 2D Smash Brothers. Yeah, it's just, it's just think more like chaotic eight-player free-for-all with items on Smash Brothers yeah. than like items off serious play Smash Brothers. Looks like a game I'm willing to add to the the Switch. The multiplayer rotation, yeah. yeah, totally. It, it like especially because it does support, which, like since it is so multiplayer oriented. Which is a shame because there's so many games that I wonder how many other great games like this I'm missing. Right. This is yeah. just that I'm hearing about because because we're talking about it. Because yeah. we went out of our way to find games that are worth talking about, yeah, it, and it's out pretty soon, by the way. It's out August seventh, so nice. I mean, I mean, that's sig- anything technically is sooner than Temtem's twenty twenty release, but like this is very soon. Like we're talking three weeks away, yeah. so yeah. But it it should be it should be fine. It looks cool. Um, these three, just to reiterate, are only a slice of what's coming down the pipe. Like we can, there's so many, and we, we try and highlight some. But if you go back to the broader topic of like too many games question mark there's still like an entire other side you have to consider of how do these games get buried and how do you go about discovering them and that's games as services because for every new game that hits the eShop, whether it's a biggie like warframe or something smaller like Slamland, you also have to fight for attention against the older existing games that are still big draws you still have to you know go up against frequently updated games like fortnite or rocket league or even just new dlc and other games i mean the nice thing is some third-party indie devs are already and indie devs are already starting to get the hang of this. Like Brawlout, for example, they they're a solid example of this. According to the game's devs, they have 150,000 people on Switch that they have. How they word it? 150,000 Switch players to date. How many of them are still active? Hard to say. But when your entire game is a your source of money because you're a small developer, and b entirely dependent on keeping it as big as big of a player base as possible since it's an online fighter and kind of needs it, then you're going to need a rise above getting lost in the shuffle. You're going to need 
to keep things going, make it a game of service, do updates. So that's why, most likely, they just announced while we were at Comic-Con that Ukulele of Ukulele is going to be a playable character next month. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Yeah, it is. And uh, it, it's great because not only does it bring some existing Brawlout owners back into the fold so the game's more active, so when new people go check it out, they have positive things to say, like there's so many players, versus negative things like, I have no one to play with, I'm going to quit this game, don't buy it. You also, in addition to avoiding that, get the ability to entice a huge audience of ukulele fans. That game did quite well for itself to perhaps hop on board with Brawlout. It literally sidesteps the entire eShop clutter situation. Cosplaytronic or whoever can tweet out, hey, check it out, our character's in that game, and they're reaching a whole audience that maybe through Nintendo Minute or through the Nintendo News uh, app or through whatever, there is no way to reach those people. So it's very strategic. Yeah, and it just looks cool. Yeah, it's it's a nice addition. It, 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 I need to add more indie games, like indie characters like that, and maybe Shovel Knight. It's, like. Shovel Knight's gonna be in. Um, he's gonna be in the Nicholas fighting game. Yeah, Blade Strangers. Yeah, Blade Strangers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they Brawlout also released um a shark character to replace the frog one. I mean, they do like little updates like that, but not a completely new character in a while. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, welcome addition. Totally. Although, ironically, so so the devs at Brawlout are doing this. Well, not Brawlout. What's the name of the company that makes Brawlout? I don't even remember. It's like Angry, mm, it's angry like, Mob. Angry Mob Games, yeah. But the company that, that's doing that, so they're, they're ahead of the curve here. But ironically, um, Nintendo's also ramping up their DLC efforts as of late. So you're still fighting for attention as an indie, now just in the DLC and services realm versus in the... <laughs> In the uh, just general eShop realm, so that that's good. It's just on multiple fronts. So that's gonna be fun for them. But the Nintendo is stepping up their DLC, and the most intriguing new one is probably the doubling down on Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. We discussed last episode that Mario Kart got a surprise update in the form of Labo support, right? And since then, even more has happened. So officially, what we got was a surprise Zelda Breath of the Wild tie-in on Thursday. I think it was. It was sometime when we were at Comic Con. Yeah, I think it was Thursday. Um, they pushed out an update where he could choose between playing as regular Link or Link in his championship, uh, champion's tunic, championship, champion's <laughs> tunic from, from Breath of the Wild. And to go with that, the Master Cycle Zero is now a playable, playable bike, and it has new items to match, ancient tires, and a paraglider. Nice. It's all pretty neat. Like, I don't think it handles it. I haven't had a chance to try it. Have you had a chance to try it? No. I've I don't been... know if you download it in the hotel or something. I don't know. No. They're... Yeah, I, from, from what, busy. from what I can tell... It doesn't seem like a huge difference besides cosmetics, really. But it's uh, apparently the the um, tires are really good for off-road racing. But besides that, which makes sense because they do that in Breath yeah. of the Wild. But, like, it's still kind of a neat addition and, uh, as random as the timing is. Like, what <laughs> what compelled them in July to yeah. suddenly be like, remember when we did that DLC, like, seven months ago? It should have come out then. We should have, like, we should have done Mario Kart with that. You all just do it now? Yeah, okay. That's probably what happened, honestly. Is I, I read something where apparently some of the Zelda developers are also on the Mario Kart team. So you'd think they'd be like, yo, we're doing a motorcycle thing in Zelda, but I guess I guess they just didn't know. But yeah, basically they saw it and they're like, that'd be cool, and then they just added it. But I, I guess it kind of gives both games a bit of an attention boost now, in like the gaming press at least. But, but what caught my attention more than, um, than just the Zelda stuff, which is neat, was there's this comment from Nintendo's Shinya Takahashi. He's what, you know, he's like the conductor of Nintendo, as they call him. He does all the software planning. And uh, this happened before the Mario Kart update came out, to be clear. But in a video Q&A on Nintendo's Twitter, 
he ended a recap of how the Labo support for Mario Kart works with, and I quote yet again, there will be further updates planned for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, so please look forward to it. Now the emphasis there should be on the S of the word updates. Updates plural. Multiple updates. More than just Zelda. Captain Falcon confirmed. There you go. But yeah, Zelda is seemingly the first of many, which does lead to the question of what are we talking about here? How big are we talking about here? Do you think it's something like new characters like Captain Falcon? or I mean, they have the F-Zero track, so he seems like a shoo-in. They have the F-Zero car, right? It's a so, t- yeah, they do. It's an easy cosmetic change. It's make a new character. Yeah, it's... It would be very disappointing if Captain Falcon doesn't appear in that game in some fashion at some point. It's like, tease so hard... Yeah. That it would just be like, come on, Nintendo. Like, I'm mean, like, 200cc is like, if, F-Zero, practically. Like, if you're not going to make a proper Zero game, at least put them in one. Like yeah. Like, Smash Brothers. In right. a racing game, of all things. And I mean, and there's and they know there's enough attention for Captain Falcon, because they had his helmet at E3 as one of the props for Smash Bros. And then they brought only, I think, three or four props from E3 to Comic-Con. And one of them was his helmet again. They didn't yeah. bring, like, Pit's sword. They bring bring Mario's hat. They brought Captain Falcon's helmet. So I'm just saying, if that's not a sign, then like we might as well just cancel this podcast because clearly we're bad at predicting it. No, I have no idea. But Captain Falcon makes sense. But I do wonder if it's going to be even bigger than that because like, it's not like they could just patch in Labo a second time. So they can't do something equivalent to that. And there's only... Like, how many times are just going to casually add a character? Well, I feel like... they could. I mean, Labo, is there, I think they showed that you could have pedals like working with part of the kit so it's only a matter of time before you have like a full on like Gran Turismo style steering wheel and pedal setup you're right they literally could patch in Labo a second time yeah. <laughs> that's that's true but yeah I I mean what I'm thinking is either A something really big down the line like some core connectivity with Mario Kart Tour once it's out on smartphones or B perhaps some actual real in-game content like beyond just a palette swap beyond just a character model because the fact is at the end of June when they put out their financials for, you know, last whenever. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is the Switch's second best-selling game. It sold 9.22 million copies. That is a very, very ripe opportunity to sell some new DLC. Especially since the last yeah. time they did DLC, it was back in the Wii Or Kirby and some Kirby stages. Yeah. Just make it a Smash Brothers. Like, honestly, they can even just take some retro tracks and make a new retro track bundle. Like, I'd love if they did Mario Kart DS's Waluigi Pinball. That's, like, one of my all-time favorite stages. Yeah, they're all here. Right? Yeah, they could totally do it. Or, like, like listen. Listen, Nintendo, Waluigi's very in right now. Like, he's very in right now. He's having a moment. I saw, like, seven of him at Comic-Con, at least. And they're, I would watch him post an editorial about him. This is his time to shine. Do a Waluigi pack. Waluigi pinball. Maybe, like, alternate outfits for Waluigi his character. Stadium. Waluigi stadium. Just, like, go all in. I mean, Reggie... Back at E3, Reggie sent an interview. I think it was with Waypoint. Uh, that Nintendo is aware of this groundswell of support. So what better way to reward those fans? I'm pitching you now, Nintendo. Than to give us the Waluigi pack for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. That's all I'm saying. I'm not even a big Waluigi fan. It's just this is his moment. This is his time to shine. And shine he must. <laughs> so please, Nintendo, do this. But no, but beyond just uh, Waluigi, I'd also like to see Wario Stadium from Mario Kart 64, which is tricky because there's a different Wario Stadium already in Mario Kart 8. But if they could somehow like do both, that would be great because the 64 one is way better. Just say. It's simpler, but it's better because of its simplicity. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think they could also do um, 
So the thing is how long it is. I'm pretty sure they're gonna make it a two lap, of course. Maybe. Yeah, they did that with Rainbow Road. Yeah, that's true. And like, I, I, actually, I actually they, they made that a one lapper. Oh my god. Yeah, they did. That was a bummer. It still bothers me that they did that. Like, yeah. why? It, it was an, okay it was an endurance have, test. Yeah, it's okay to have super long tracks. Come on, Nintendo. Yeah, like, you know what? They should do it as part of the Waluigi pack. Super long tracks go for to go through super long legs. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. But no, um, I know I was saying like characters would be kind of boring, but in all honesty, you know it would actually be kind of cool if they. I mean, Blooper and Chain Chomp, if they could play tennis. Why can't they drive a cart? Yeah. Like, just, Nintendo, just go bonkers with this. Just go crazy. Just have fun. Like, people will buy it. I'll buy it. Because, like, realistically, whatever form the next update takes, DLC or otherwise, it's going to happen this year. So they might as well just hit the ground running and go crazy. It's probably going to go go on during or it going into the holidays. Because Nintendo keeps emphasizing how part of their plan to sell 20 million Switches this year is not just by releasing new games, but keeping up sales of the old games. If you want Mario Kart to be at the forefront of new Switch owners' minds this holiday, you know, when they're getting Smash Ultimate, when they're getting Pokemon Let's Go, new DLC, and specifically a purple man named Waluigi, are, uh, that's how you do it. That's how you generate fresh buzz. That's how you get this game to be new when it's not new. Plus, you know, you, you make money from us existing Switch owners, too. So, that's my that's my bold prediction, is by the end of this year, we are going to have new uh premium dlc probably for mario kart we'll have dlc premium maybe less so but it's a i mean it's a strategy they're already doing this isn't that absurd of a thing this is the most safe prediction the safest prediction i can make because they're already doing this exact strategy with kirby star allies i mean granted that one's free but on july 27th the game's second dream friends update comes out with uh new characters to play as including deroach from kirby squeak squad Dark Man Knight and Kirby 64's uh, Adeline and Ribbon, all playable characters. Actually, Adeline and Ribbon's interesting because they're combined. They're a twofer. But uh, the interesting thing about that is Hal's then going one step further and they're introducing remakes of Kirby 64 to Crystal Shards levels as well. So if you play as Adeline and Ribbon, after you beat the main game, you get to access a whole new map with, uh, as Hal puts it, specially arranged stages from Kirby 64. And all this is free, but it does exactly the same thing as what I was saying Mar- uh, Mario Kart could do for Nintendo, which is it gets eyeballs back on Kirby, it puts the game back into the news cycle for the Nintendo and gaming world, and it's just really cool fan service that will get existing owners happy and engaged again. Honestly, the DLC is making me, like, slightly, like, right? as in from... It's zero, working. As in from zero interest in buying it to... One percent interest in buying it. This is my... Right, so like for still, you... Like, I'm still not getting it, but... It's a hey, went up. I mean, for, yeah. So imagine because someone, I think the DLC is really cool, especially the Adeline and Ribbon. Like, just yeah, the like to fighting the final boss, the way they shoot the beams, and the Squeak Squad, and how you could throw treasure and have all the buddies there. It's really cool. This is my exactly what I'm saying. Like, yeah, okay, so yeah, for you, it's not going to necessarily move the needle, but for someone out there, move the needle just it enough to buy it. the game. It yeah. twitched it, but for someone that Twitch was a whole spasm, oh, and yeah. now they're buying the game. I'm sure their dial broke. Yeah, yeah so, someone's dial, like, someone just, like, literally combusted into flames and went and bought it on the spot. So, like, it's... If Nintendo does that for Mario Kart with some bigger name stuff than just Alan and Ribbon, who most people listening probably don't even remember. Actually, no. I would guess about 60% of our listeners remember those characters. But, um, yeah, like, if if you do it with real big name stuff, you can easily make Mario Kart like a new release. They they can Octo expansion Mario Kart essentially because Octo expansion is also like a whole relaunch of Splatoon two in a way. Yeah, like we'll see on the sales charts if it translates to a bump, but it certainly attention wise was 
all over the place. Like, you couldn't really avoid it. So, what, what I'd really love to see Nintendo do now is apply the same idea to Captain Code Treasure Trackers. Because, not to go kind of full circle with the episode here, since we talked about it at the start, but I just really want some sort of DLC for this thing. Like, right now, there's only four new levels themed around Mario Odyssey in Treasure Trackers, and that's it. In fact, the rest of the game not only has the same content, they actually took out content. Instead of Mario 3D World themed levels from the original Wii U version, the Mario Odyssey ones actually replaced those. They're oh, not, that's not in good. addition, and I'm not entirely sure why. It's a very weird move. So what I'd love to see Nintendo do is twofold. First, put back the Mario 3D World levels. You can make them free DLC, if whatever. But then, just keep going. Like, why only make levels based on Mario Odyssey? Do four packs of levels for every Mario game. Release them, you know, over time as paid DLC. You can have, like, some Isle Delfino stages or themed stages around Bob on Battlefield from Mario 64 or, like, some anti-gravity stuff. Like, get real weird. Do anti-gravity in Captain Toad and do it, like, Mario Galaxy style. Or, like, go really old school and do Mario Bros. 2 and have it be, like, the theater curtain and then, like, that first stage with the Shy Guys and the Birdos and the, all that. Like, there's so much they could do here and... For a game like Captain Toad, it it's just one, it'll help sell Mario fans on Captain Toad that haven't already bought it. And two, it'll keep Captain Toad in the spotlight and make that game just sell that much longer instead of just being a one and done release. And it could turn into a whole franchise. Plus it's gonna get me to personally double dip on the game, which of course is Nintendo's biggest priority. So or should be. So yeah, I I just wanna see Captain Toad DLC. That's all. I mean, if they added DLC to Captain Toad, let's like, we're talking like level packs, like multiple level packs. Would you actually cave and get it? If I could only buy the level packs, yes. Well, no, but then no. Interesting. How many? What if they made a whole game's worth of level packs? If I could, just I think buy that's just called a sequel. Pack, if I could just buy the level packs, then I'll buy them. You know, that's an interesting idea. I don't want to buy Captain Toad again. That's an interesting idea. I don't want to have to replay the game to play that. And I know you could just get the amiibo, but. Yeah, I'm I'm good with Captain Toad. Well, no, well, that leads to an interesting idea. A game like Captain Toad is perfect to go with a kind of freemium model, even on Switch. Like they could turn, not the one that's out now, but if they were to do a sequel, I don't know why they wouldn't do like you get five levels for free and then you buy level packs, and yeah. they total out to cost the same amount as say a regular game. But you could kind of pick and choose, or they could just keep doing them forever. You keep getting more. It's kind of the idea of how Mario Kart's on, or yeah, Mario Kart's on like a. Well, not really Mario Kart. I guess Platoon is almost like a platform in and of itself, and they could just keep stacking things on it. Yeah. Could, they could do it. Like, or Fortnite's probably the best example, really. Maybe. Fortnite does some crazy stuff. Like, the way they do real, like, in-game events is really cool. Where, like, you have to be there at just the right moment, or you miss it, but you have to deal with the consequences anyway. Like, the rocket launch a yeah, few weeks ago. Yeah, it generate a lot of buzz, yeah. It's super cool. Um, but, you know, actually, it's fine, because normally in an episode we would at this time be like so speaking of Fortnite let's share some impressions but because of Comic Con I still haven't played Fortnite so we're going to talk about it next episode and I what we would want to talk about it no. if you want by all means I but I would like to hear your impressions too though we could do a two-parter you talk now I talk later that'd be mm. weird but we could um let's save it because I do want to play okay. cooperative with you I want to see what that's like I yes and I definitely want to play it but it's fine because normally like what we what we've been playing would be Fortnite. Yeah. But we played Comic Con. We were at Comic Con. That was the whole first half of the show. So, I guess that's actually it. It's kind of a weird note to end on. But if we're saving Fortnite, yeah, and yeah, and, and, to, and to be true to what we've been playing, I mean, I got to play Fortnite. I haven't been playing it because, as Jason said, we've been busy. We haven't, yeah, we haven't 
I mean, yeah. I, so and but anything, you're, you're going to be on vacation. Next and I think all I've been playing is just Strikers nineteen forty five because that's still because that's the best game to play online. Just back and forth, back and forth. I you know I respectfully disagree. I had some great tennis matches with one of our friends in line. Um, they were great because I won one of them. Oof. He was not. I, I, he I, is I, a I, very I, competitive I, 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 I person. Tells me everything I need to know. He was a very competitive person, and I won against him, and it was my crowning achievement of Comic Con. Like, remember I said about highlights at Star Show? I take it back. The highlight wasn't me and Conan O'Brien. The highlight wasn't anything I said. The highlight was being him at Mario Tennis. And if and he sometimes listens to this, so I'm gonna probably get a very angry <laughs> text in a couple of days. But, but yeah, we will leave it at that. We will leave it at me winning at a video game. It actually happened. And like that, yeah, that does it for this episode. Um, we we might as well quit while we're ahead me winning so um also because we're out of topics we have nothing else to say but but we will have plenty to discuss next episode because we have the full report for Nintendo's financials from april to june which sounds like whatever but it's actually pretty significant because that's when they finally like april june is when they finally started releasing games regularly in 2018 we got like one prior to that so it'll be really interesting to see what that means for switch overall how is switch doing compared to a year ago how are the games doing is Nintendo able gonna be able to hit twenty million? And not only that, but what do they reveal when they announce these numbers? Sometimes they have announcements. Summer, the summer one sometimes coincides with Nintendo Direct, so you never know. So we'll be back next episode to talk about all that. Plus, we'll have impressions of Fortnite as we were just discussing, and hopefully WarioWare Gold. Depends on exactly when we record, but we're gonna try. It comes out that weekend, um, and we're also gonna have more giveaways going on over on our Twitter. So it falls on at Ram Nintendo on Twitter. Not only will you know when this episode hits. Which should be uh, the weekend of August. I don't have the date. I think August 3rd, that weekend. It might be a little late because you're on vacation, huh? Maybe. So it might be a day or two late, like this ConCon episode. Just follow us on Twitter at Ramtown so you don't miss it. You can also subscribe to us. It is the weekend. It'll be the 5th, ideally, but maybe the 6th. Um, you can also subscribe to us on any of your podcasting apps iTunes, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, whatever, and you'll get the episode. Um, but yeah, we like I was starting to say, you should follow us on Twitter because we are doing giveaways. We just did one, a ten dollars eShop giveaway. You don't know what's next, so be sure to keep an eye on us. You can also follow us individually. I am JSR seven on Twitter. Angel is Wero W E R R O underscore underscore O. And with that, we bid you adieu. We go to sleep. We recover from Comic Con, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Well rested. My voice will. I don't know if anyone can tell. My voice has been strained, but I won't be well rested since I'll be on vacation. Well, technically, that's what vacation is. No, to me, they're work. work. Well, Angel's putting in work. I'm doing the opposite. Vacation <laughs> is being at home playing video games, not going to Mexico. Fair. Yeah. Well, All on right. that note, right, vacation sucks. See you in two weeks.